Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I turn on the hot and cold enthusiasm taps for the state of the current industry with discussion of comics blogosphere controversies, the upcoming all-in events for Marvel and DC, and suppositions about the state of scheduling Ray the Same. We also discuss Howard the Duck number 1, Southern Cross, Bad Houses by Sarah Ryan and Carla Speed McNeil, The Black Hood number 1, Giant Days, Zero, IRL, and much more in this 2.5-hour podcast. Show notes that show instead of tell and note instead of not are available at waitwhatpodcast.com, and we welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, as well as inviting you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. How, you know, I like, that I, no matter how I say your name, you always go, Graham McMillan. It's like whatever, however I'm feeling, you're always sort of ramping it up. I like that. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm like, Jeff Lester, kind of grumpy, and you're like, Graham McMillan, it's got to be great. <laughs> I like that. Well, I'm glad. I wish I wish that were the case because I feel like I'm the one who frequently turns into the the Mondo Grump almost immediately. I think it's more like I just don't know any other way to say your name. Like I just otherwise I, it'd be like that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, good it's, as long as you're not being like Graham McMillan. Oh, Graham McMillan. You know, <sighs> then I'd be like, I don't know if we should keep doing this podcast for today. <laughs> you're not in a good mood. Jeez. Hello. Uh, yes. Hello. My goodness. Well, welcome to another episode of Wait What, where it feels like we are just cranking these suckers out like little little podcast M&Ms. We are. And by M&M, I hope you mean the uh, popular white rapper of the early millennium. Well, of course. And, Who and else? Not, that, that's fine. <laughs> I was listening the other day to uh, Sean Lee, open brackets, featuring Princess Superstar, close brackets. Mm. And I don't know if you remember Princess Superstar, do you? Of course. Um, and I like I love this particular song, right? Mm-hmm. And part of me felt guilty because I was like, "Oh, I remember when they kept on selling her as the female Eminem," and I had this like wave of like Eminem, not revulsion, but like Eminem guilt, like uh, Eminem guilt by proxy. Oh, oh, just for why did you actually participate in in the? Were you part of Eminem's fan base, Graham? No, not at all. Do you didn't um, go through like a Graham Shady? Uh, I, 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 there was no Grim Shady uh, in my past. It's a damn shame. But... Let me tell you, Grim Shady. <laughs> really? Is, is it though? <laughs> um, but I don't know. There's like, there's something about Eminem that I find repulsive is super strong, and it's not like it's far stronger than I mean. Right. But I do have this moment of like, oh, Eminem. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Nope. Like, hand up, take it away. <laughs> and I honestly don't know why. That's really uh, funny. To, to the point of, you know, I was like, I really like this Princess Superstar song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like, oh, female Eminem. Oh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, am I a bad person for liking this? this no, because that was just a ridiculous... She, I don't think she tracks uh, particularly well with Eminem. You know what I mean? In terms of... You know, she, she actually really doesn't. Yeah. Um, although, interestingly enough, this particular track, uh, that for the love of me, I can't remember the name of this is going to drive me insane uh but it, it, it does feature her being i would say some of her most eminem like huh 
Really? Uh, okay, what is the name of this damn song? It's not Christopher Walken, which is what Google is telling me. Oh, come on. I'm going to have to open up iTunes. I apologize right now if um, everything crashes. Oh, man. This is going to be great. Take us all out. Uh, exactly. Uh, with the very start of the show, it'll be like doing the Baxter building again. It's called Anger Management. That's what it's called. Mm. Well, no wonder uh, why. That's such a Eminem title. I mean, if it's not actually the title of one of his albums, practically, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's, there's, I really had this moment of like, oh, Eminem. Anyway, hello. Hello. I've, I've taken us horribly off track already. Well, considering we haven't quite landed, it's, it's like when you're uh, in an airplane and you're expecting it to land, but it just kind of, you know, circles around the airport one more time. I think, I think that's, it's not really off track per se, you know, it's like, as long as as long as we didn't crash and everyone died, I think that it's an entirely you know forgivable. I think. Dude, See, there's me I'll being upbeat that. all over again, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Well, uh, Jeff, I don't know about you, but I'm just I'm done with this week. This week, uh, listeners, as we're recording, being the one where um, all the the Chris Sims, uh, Valerie Durazio stuff has come out, mm-hmm. and. And I am. I'm just. I'm. I'm done. I. I. I find myself really down on on so much. This really, week. and part of it is building on sort of a, a general being burnt out that we were talking about before. Yes, I think the last time we did a regular weight watch, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was actually on the podcast or afterwards, but we talked about. Me feeling burned out by like the big two comics, and you were suggesting you know just read other things, and I and I have been right. Uh, right. That that's the majority of what I've been reading recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, between that and just the everything that's been going on in the comics internet this week, I I I am just. I mean, do you want to know what's brought me the most pleasure out of everything today? Yes, the fact that Mister T has been given a DIY show in the DIY network called "I Pity the Tool." <laughs> That's it. <laughs> ah, that's that. Let's face it. That is one of the great titles of all time. But uh, it's. Kind of, I do. I really hope that whoever came up with that title got a raise. Yeah, seriously. Because that title alone means that you're going to get headlines. Yeah, yeah, job. yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, I got to reprint it just so that I can say that. Um, Yes, I pity the tool. I, mean, I pity on. the tool. But uh, yeah, it's 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 been um it's it's been a it's been a sort of wacky week. I, I just feel kind of burnt out by everything. What about you? Uh, you know, that's that's a good question. I, I'm sort of burnt out by my inability to say more than a sentence and a half without starting to cough. So uh, I apologize in advance. Are you still sick? Again. It's not sick. I think it's moved on to either just sort of a quasi bronchitis type thing or. Um, since spring is kind of getting underway here, down here in San Francisco, uh, sometimes with the change of seasons, especially if I get a cold beforehand, my, um, you know, uh, plus two to my asthma, uh, you know, it it basically, I almost never have this asthma kick up and it's, I'm all, it's really weird as a guy who was like, has worn glasses for life went through and I'm still going through my chubby man phase. Um, you would think that I wouldn't be distraught by having asthma on top of all that, you know, like it's kind of like the nerd trifecta, but for whatever reason, I'm oh, deeply, I deeply, deeply, I feel that you should, about it. you should really embrace it. 
Yes. And go, you know, I, it's, it's only a matter, it's only been a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Finally, I've completed the trifecta. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fear my awesome nerd physical, <laughs> my poor breeding stock. <laughs> Look upon my works, ye mighty, and pass me the inhaler. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, but, but the comics thing, well, I, personally, I thought the Chris Sims Val Dorazio thing has been fascinating to watch unfold and I, I totally understand if you don't want to talk about it because it just seems like there's almost it just it just seems to me like I'm taking out the loaded revolvers and pointing them at our feet and saying like hey let's let's talk what's the worst that can happen you know but um, yeah the, yeah I I'm torn between not wanting to say anything mm-hmm. and wanting to just like unload mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. completely honest um, and and it's the same reason for both, which is like I'm not friends with either of the people, right? But I am friends who are friends with. I am friends with people who are friends with them, mm-hmm. and so I feel super close mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just watching it all unfold and watching what people have been <laughs> saying about it has been very uh, exhausting. Mm-hmm. It, it's been it's been really weird and frustrating and 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 tiring to to is it, follow is it and yet okay also to ask I've why been, or what yeah I, i've been unable to stop myself following it if that makes right. sense oh yeah yeah no i definitely have been getting up to the, the like i think when i got up today and got around to getting on the internet one of the first places i went was to comics alliance because i um I had seen the statement by uh, Janelle and uh, the other editor. Andrew Wheeler. Thank you. So sorry, Andrew. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I don't know why I was blocking on it. Um, but uh, – and they mentioned that, that, that Sims would be coming back with a, with a statement on Comics Alliance itself later, which I read. And I don't know. I mean, so here's my thing is I feel despite – not necessarily having strong feelings about either person, except I would say that as someone who has bought some of the material that Val has written, um, I think that, I think that it's a shame that somehow we moved that, that it's clearly being talked about as if what, what happened here was a case of, of, comics criticism turned into just outright bullying, you know? And, uh, you know, as somebody who shoots my mouth off about comic books and the people who, who write them, of course, I, I, I'm excessively hand ringy about that. You oh know? yeah. That, that's one of the reasons that, uh, sorry, I should say it's another reason why it's been so exhausting for me because like one of my initial responses was like, I, I know I've been a dick to people. Mm-hmm. Have I have I been that much of a dick? Have mm-hmm. I been that much of a bully and not realized it? Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, it's it's a very. It's not the first time that I've thought about that, and it's actually not even the first time I've thought about that recently. I had someone get in touch a couple of weeks ago, um, and and ask. Hey, do you mind if I talk to you about 
Mark Miller's career in the early part of, uh, like, in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason was, I know you were totally, you know, I know you were very much active in his online existence Mm. for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were like, and there's no real record of that anymore because, you know, various things, like the Miller Worlds kept on essentially rebooting and and dumping all of his records. Mm. Um, And, you know, lots of websites have shut down and yada, yada. And he's like, you know, you're one of the few people who who was there and Mm -hmm. who can remember it. And the first thing I said back to this person was, yeah, but I was a terrible troll. <laughs> Cause I was, <clears throat> you know, and, and that's, uh, it, it's like, that's, and I, you know, I feel like I, I don't think I've said this before. I think like Mark and I have sort of quasi made up mm-hmm. since then. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's, I don't think there's grudges held on either side right. for anything that went down. Um, and like I've talked to him about it and, and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, like I've also been talking to Brian Bendis for work, mm-hmm. and like again, like it's been perfectly civil and it's been perfectly like respectful on both sides. And so I, you know, the people that I think I'd be super worried for mm-hmm. holding a grudge mm-hmm. um, don't seem to, which makes me feel very good, I guess, or, or relieved perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely have this moment of like. Oh shit! Like, you know, I was a dick as well. Mm. Was I? Was I that kind of a dick? Hmm. And but there's an extra element of there is a gender thing. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say there. There's a you know, g- gender I, thing that that translates to a, a a power imbalance on in in the situation. I think between Sims and Dorazio that is a, very hard to replicate when it's you know, one white dude talking smack about another white dude on the internet, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the, the re, uh, did you see Heidi's piece today? No, no, no. I've been, I, I I was kind of, yeah. She tries to put it into some context of essentially, and other people have done this on social media over the last couple of days of the internet, well, the comics internet was a very different place. Mm-hmm. You know, even five years ago, mm-hmm. um, where the cult of personality was stronger and, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, awareness of of other people's feelings was was not at the premium that it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I uh, I don't know. There there I I have a very like weird complicated relationship with everything that's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you might be able to hear. Yes, yes. Well, it's interesting because I just don't think um uh, yeah, there's hand-wringing on on my uh part just in the sense of part of me is like, "Graham, I really don't think like I don't know. I mean, I suppose that's where things get problematic is um, <clears throat> one person's one person's trolling is another person's, you know, um, Oh yeah. One person's truth to power, one person's, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. One person's hijinks mm-hmm. or like, you know, fighting the power is another person's abuse and her, her husband. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and the most charitable reading 
mm-hmm. of what happened with Sims mm-hmm. uh, is that he thought that he was speaking truth to power in a way that was also funny. And I think that's being, shall we say, too charitable. <laughs> you know? um... I, I, I think um, one of the things that is very interesting to me is to read Val's comments and to read the Comics Alliance statement. Mm-hmm. The Are you going to cry about it, little girl? Mm-hmm. Uh, line from Val is not what Comics Alliance say. Yes. Which was super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is very, the change is very important. Mm-hmm. Because if it's what Val says, mm-hmm. then it's outright bullying yeah. and harassment. Right. In, in a very vicious and annoying way. Mm-hmm. And if it's what Comics Alliance says it is, mm-hmm. then it's still bullying, but somehow lesser. There's something about the term little girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, it, that crosses a line and i'm not sure what that line is and i'm not sure if that line is imaginary well because i i to me it there is a little bit of the because i think the the line that comics alliance says is something like you know why don't you cry about a vow yeah why don't you cry about a vow or something and which is which is very different from mm -hmm. why do you cry about a little girl yeah exactly no are you going to cry about a little girl right and i think that's and hmm yeah, it is. It's one of those weird situations where, uh, yeah, are you going to cry, little girl? Is 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 a is is hugely. I mean, it it's very explicitly a tone. It's it's you know it's a bullying cliche. You know, it's a bullying cliche. It's a gendered bullying cliche, mm-hmm. and it is. Why don't you cry about a vowel is somehow less of uh, an expression of dominance mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. It's because there's something in the in the little girl line which is I know you won't. It, to me. Yeah, I mean, the, like I, it's 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 far more bullying and it's far more aggressive and it's far more. Uh, knowingly bullying, I guess. Yes. It's, it's far more like, I am completely aware that I have the power here, and I'm completely abusing it. Right. It's very much uh, that I have the power and you don't, of course. It's yeah. literally yeah. underscoring and rubbing the the person's face in their powerlessness, which is yes. hugely humiliating and awful. Yes, yes. Uh, um, whereas, I mean, and again, I'm like, context, who knows? But, you know... Considering how many, like, you know, cry more, M-O-A-R memes, you know, we've, like, made it through or something. There is a way where using, even using someone's name, which can be overly familiar. And I think it's fascinating to me the extent, the way that so many of Sim's comments at the time, you know, were sort of a person-to-person thing, like Val this and Val that. Yeah. Now oh, that yeah. there's an it, apology. There was a, definitely an mm-hmm. expression of of uh, intimacy. Yes. Which, again, sort of re- removes the agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when he apologizes, he says, I think it's Ms. Dorazio. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I just, I, uh, uh, <laughs> there's so much I'm not noises. going to say because basically I don't want to get myself involved in it. Mm-hmm. I have very strong feelings about what went down. Mm-hmm. That for all that I have, you know, got mumbled on about so far, mm-hmm. I've not even touched on. <laughs> um, just because I and, and I've been biting my tongue like mm-hmm. the last two days on the internet to the point where yesterday I almost put on Twitter, "Someone tell me not to subtweet people," <laughs> 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 because I was like, "I've got to like I, I consciously all day I was like, do not, do not, do not, do mm-hmm. not, do mm-hmm. not, do not." Um, because I I was having a conversation with someone uh, about this. Uh, another comics professional, shall we say, or comics journalism professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came to the, the conclusion that was essentially, in the nicest way possible, we're too old for the shit. Right. Right. Like literally, uh, there is, there is a terrible, uh, failing in the way that this is being addressed hmm. by, by, by a lot of parties. Interesting. Um, and there are, I, and, and the, uh, the way that the narrative has been shaped mm-hmm. has been, has become incredibly loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and this other person, we're both like, but I don't want to get involved. Right. Like, I just, I just don't want to get involved <clears throat> because, mm-hmm. it, I mean, for numerous reasons, mm-hmm. there, I have, I have people who are very good friends with Sims. Right. You know, and I just, I, I, I do not want to, I don't, don't like, I feel super personal mm-hmm. in that way. They're like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, no, <laughs> right. not, not at all. But also, there's just – it's such a loaded subject mm-hmm. that I feel you can't even stick your head above the parapet without someone taking a shot at it. Well, I, you know, and <sighs> my thing, and maybe it's – I think in some cases I have – well, I have a lot more freedom than you do in the sense that I am not well, nearly as yeah, close to yeah. – that, that's, that's the other thing. I, because I am writing for who I'm writing for, I'm mm-hmm. also – Far less likely to say things on the internet now. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's um, you know I don't know it, it's well okay so two things I suppose is for me I um, found that I don't have much to really say about it because I don't know enough of anything that's gone on so I can just sort of I feel like all I've done the last couple of days is kind of wring my hands about the propriety of it I suppose by by which I mean you know do I think that once this situation you know this situation came out I kind of, it was you know there's sort of that worry you know worry is it just going to be buried and ignored because, you know, Sims is very popular on the internet, 
on the comics blogosphere? And the answer was no. It was people talked about it and they talked about it. It got posted openly on, on news forums and things, which I, I, I was relieved about. This I was set, very surprised by it. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, I was telling you that I didn't think it was going to be covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the fact that it came out, I thought that was great. I thought that there was for the most, the coverage that I saw, nobody tried to whip it up into a, a you know, into a firestorm. You know, it wasn't like a, oh, let's take sides. Like everybody that I, all the pieces that I read, which were maybe only four or five, seemed uh, really even-handed, you know, and, and which I'm very relieved about. You know, it wasn't kind of a, you know, are you on Team Chris, you know, kind of thing or, or exactly, however it breaks yes. down. You know, it's, it's like I'm glad that, that that didn't come to pass. It seemed like everybody made it a priority at this point to be – you know that 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 Val should in no way be you know attacked or besmirched, you know, for the things that she came she she stepped out and said. And I felt like people were a lot more, um, you know, she the, the there are people like in Janelle's piece where she she you know thanked her for stepping forward, and I think that that's I think that's. I think all of that is great, you know, in some contexts, and this is perhaps where my uh, hypocrisy sort of creeps in or not. I can't tell is, I mean, I was never much of a fan of Brian Wood, you know, and to the point where I did that sort of like I stopped talking about his work um, because it just didn't really seem to go anywhere. Every time I give it a chance, I'm like, "Eh, not for me, Eh, not for me, Eh, not for me. You know, but but I also had a little bit of a. It's weird. A little bit of the um, one of the things I really uh, that I thought was interesting in in Sim's statement is he talks about he openly talks about being bitter and jealous. You know, at the stage where he was bullying um, Val, and I thought that that was. I thought it was really candid of him to mention it, but I was also kind of, um, um, I don't know, like, I almost feel like, oh yeah, like, I almost feel like this could be a bigger key to at least part of the puzzle, at least part of the behavior, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, if he, if he talked a little bit more and said like, I was really jealous of Val because here she was, she'd gotten these writing opportunities at at Marvel, writing the Punisher, which is a character that I, I dearly love, and I felt like all she had to do in order to get there was, you know, kind of blame the victim and blah blah blah. You know, similarly, I find that that I, I found myself like I always wondered how much of at a certain point my dislike of Brian Wood's work became a. This, I, it, you know, sort of like it drives me crazy that this guy is still getting work despite being one of the most boring comic book writers, like being published in comics today, you know, and in the back of my mind, how much of that was tied to the jealousy of like, yeah, he just, you know, he got published by Larry Young pretty much while I was sitting side by side with Larry and at comics experience, you know, and as part of me is like, I always worried the extent to which there was a, jealousy yeah exactly you know um 
which may have been part of the reason why I was like, okay, I just, I might as well step off here because, because if something's not working for me, maybe it has as much to do with that. Then interestingly enough, when the stories came out about Brian Woods, sexual harassment, um, I found myself in a, a situation of trying to figure out the best way to, to sort of support the issue without, again, indulging in sort of a, hey, everybody, let's boycott Brian Woods forever, you know? So it's like I I made a point to, to tweet uh, Ann Sherbina. Um, gosh, and I honestly... Goodness help me, I do not remember the name of the other woman who stepped forward. But I also wrote her and thanked them both for, for having the bravery to really step forward, you know, because I, I, I think doing that, no matter who it is, if it's Brian Wood, if it's, you know, uh, Julia Schwartz, you know, if you're being bullied by Chris Sim, if, you know, Graham McMillan's calling you up and making funny breathing noises, you know, into your receiver, you should definitely, you know it's, I think it's good for the industry for those things to be, to come out and to come out in the open, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's very, for all that there was, uh, I think a, a, I think Val's comments this time actually did get treated relatively well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's at least in comparison with, for example, the people who are talking about Brambwood, who I feel definitely got attacked. Yeah. Um, and I think the file, while she has been attacked, it has mm-hmm. been to a far lesser degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's still very difficult for people to come forward and, and talk about things like that publicly. Yeah. Yeah. For not, not, not even within their own experience. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like ignoring their own shame that they have about what has happened. Yes. But the, in terms of the comic society, mm-hmm. I feel it's still a very unfriendly one for that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not, well, if nothing else, it's the kind of this, this industry continues to be powered by, you know, happy thoughts and magic words. You know, I mean, it is so hard for this industry to even talk about the fact that, you know, many of the creators are in the process of dying penniless, you know, and and that maybe we're seeing some some movement in that direction. But you still see people who don't even want to, you know, talk about their page rates with <laughs> one another or at least openly, like privately. Once you trust someone, then then it will be a thing. So it sort of makes sense to me in a way that when this stuff comes out. Like we have an industry that is very, I feel very uncomfortable with professional confrontation, you know, and seeing that stuff and just being kind of like, ah, let's just, um, yeah, let's just slip it under the rug. And frankly, yeah. it was harder. It was hard for me to feel like I don't, I kind of felt like, you know, certainly by contrast, I feel that um, Wood's responses were much more. Um, I don't know, like, they seemed to lack a certain amount of, they, they had some basic civility to it, but they were so, his statements and apologies felt so relatively undercooked that I yes, walked away very frustrated. and also amazingly wrote. Yeah, like, exactly. 
he was doing the minimum of what you'd expect him to do to still have a career. Yeah. To yeah. be cynical. And I have been incredibly cynical this week, so maybe that's too cynical. No, I feel no, like no, I've no, been pushed no. to a place of incredible uh, uh, cynicalness. Mm-hmm. Cynicism, that's the word Cynicism. I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, I, I am a writer. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, no, I agree. I think there really was something about Brian Wood's uh, uh, statements at the time that, that felt very much... For me, it, it, the feeling was more, and this this really does speak to my cynicism, mm-hmm. um, but much more that he just couldn't be arsed with it. Yeah. That he was literally doing the bare minimum that he had to do, mm-hmm. but he really didn't give that much of a shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly the tone that, that, that it conveyed. Everything right? That was, everything yeah. that was happening mm-hmm. was an inconvenience to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, which is is uh is it, it it's I mean it's clearly not the end of your career. Brian Wood is continuing to have a career in comics right now, right? Uh, and he's continuing to launch new projects. So it's not even that you know he is he is dealing with contractual obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if there is a, a great undecided out there, mm-hmm. then I don't think that's the way to go around winning them over. <laughs> Right. Well, but see, and I think this is the problem that bothers me is is that because I see your point, but my thing is very much about the, and this, this is what I hope and we'll see where it goes. It, it, it is, are you, are you stepping forward because you realize that it's wrong and you want to make amends or do you just want to make the appearance of making amends, you know, for your career, like you said? Are you legitimately apologetic? Yeah. And to have you realized the error of your ways, for one of a better way of putting it? Or do you want it to go away? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean, at that point, to me, there's a certain amount of like, are there amends? Is there some form of restitution? I mean, it, it definitely seems like, you know, I don't necessarily know how there might be one in the sim situation, but I certainly felt like there that that the the women in Brian the Brian Woods situation was kind of like okay so now Brian Woods goes on to have Brian Wood goes on to have his career and these women go on to have their lives you know what i mean and it's just kind of it never quite it never quite really felt fair yeah, well, fair and and yeah, finished. I guess it just felt like it was. You know, everyone was like, "Okay, well, let's just go back to to forgetting about it." You know. Yeah, um, and I and I again speaking to my cynicism. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. I think I think even by the time this podcast is released, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think essentially yeah. have have faded into background to be replaced by. Uh, upset about something entirely less important. Yeah. Um, you know, like by the time this podcast is, re- so we're recording on the Thursday. Uh, we're recording on Thursday, the 19th of mm-hmm. March. Um, and this podcast will be released on the following Monday. So by the 23rd of March, mm-hmm. I think the, the, what Chris Sims did will have not be forgotten. But mm-hmm. it faded into the background enough that people are completely okay with caring more about uh, how a character is portrayed on a cover 
or whether Marvel is dissing the X-Men or, or something like that. Well, and I, I, I understand. I, I'm also aware there's not, there's a weird, again, when you're in that sort of court of public opinion, like I am, you know, and you don't have, and you sort of want to be fair about it. I'm kind of like, there's not really anything else that I can and they have to do. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the <laughs> well, that, 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 that's the strangest part about it. Yeah, that um, that you've had the. I mean, the only the last step that remains, and it's it's not. I don't think it's going to happen. Is that Valerie accepts Chris's apology? Right. That well, that's that's because because she's she has given her side of the story, mm-hmm. and. Sims has given his side of the story. Right. And Comics Alliance has released a statement. Mm-hmm. And unless something changes, unless there is new information revealed, mm-hmm. the only thing that, that remains to happen publicly is the Val accepts the apology. Well... Or, ex- or doesn't. Right. She accepts the apology or doesn't. I would be very curious to see what would happen if she's like you know, basically says, okay, well, you know, I, I, I appreciate the apology. As I said, it did significant harm to me. So, you know, if you pay my $14,000 in psychiatric bills from those years, as I've added it up, um, I will accept your apology. You know, like, I don't think she'll do that, but I, cause honestly, I think at that point, everybody will start going like, whoa, 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 you know, but there is a little bit of an idea of, to me, of like, right, she's either going to accept his apology, which I don't, I think the tone from her initial statement, you know, al- although she might've been, um, feeling hyper defensive at the time, but the tone was very much like, go to hell, I'll never forgive you. And as someone who was bullied back in school and occasionally thinks back to those people, I totally, totally get that. Totally get that. Well, yeah, one of the, the, in fact, I'm not even going to say that. I'm not going to say anything that will just get me in shit. (laughs) Wow. I'm just not. Well, so, Graham when, Mc... when you and I are recording, Jeff, I will tell you all of this. Oh, I, sorry, I, listeners. Yeah, it's just, it's honestly not worth it. Just remember, at our special NDA-level Patreon, <laughs> you'll have access to everything. Everything. <laughs> no, you really don't want, you don't want access to everything. everything. No, yeah, everything. Yeah, you don't want any of that, people. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> really, exactly. You'll can, be like, can you hear it, like, crazily the, depressed? The cynical... Like, just the this, this cynicism in my voice today. I feel like I really am, like, all of you guys are fuckers. <laughs> I really, like, I feel that's coming across a bit too much. Right. No, I, you know, Graham, we're all friends here. If that's what you feel, I, I think, I think, you you know, I think, I don't, that's not I'm always feeling, the case, I'm feeling very you know down I mean? on, yeah. a, uh, on a lot of things mm-hmm. this week, put it mm-hmm. that way. Well, I totally get it. I totally get it. And it's probably because you read Batman Eternal uh, issues 49 and 50. So, what an amazing segue. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Jeff, that's, that wasn't clumsy or weird at all. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so Batman Eternal, huh? Yeah. I, I heard that it was... Oh, shit, I've even forgotten who the Master Raid was. Oh, Clue Master. Yes. 
Clue um, which, if nothing else, you have to give them credit for actually introducing him in the early episodes of the of the series. It's like Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If Chekhov's gun was actually a poodle, and then in the last act they used the poodle to shoot somebody and went, aha, it was a gun all along, dummies. Um, you know, because I really am. They, they introduced Clue Master early, but I'm like, and, and maybe there will be some huge reveal here, but hold on. But Clue Master has been the the smoking hot misdirect of the Clue Master being unable to catch his daughter for over 50 issues, seeming incompetent in every way getting bullied about shoved around and just generally seeming utterly, utterly incapable. The idea that he is going to be, end up being the super mastermind is, um, uh, it's, it's a little too Meltzerian for my taste. You know, if, if you say what you like, it identity crisis sold like hotcakes. It sure did. Didn't it? You know, but, I, and 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 maybe that's all anyone has to has to do in this particular situation. But I do remember this was you know the absolute like hey we did our due diligence. See this was the person in the beginning. It's it's really dull. I mean I'm glad that it's not <laughs> Alfred's daughter or you know I, like I, that's that's the damning thing really. Mm-hmm. And I'm not reading Eternal at all. I'll inevitably read the collections. Honestly, way down the line when they're in the library. Sure. You know? So we're talking like two years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you... I think when your takeaway is more than anything, it's dull. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be like, well, that's terrible. I can't believe they did that. Mm-hmm. At least it's provoked a reaction. When your reaction is really just, what? That's silly. Yeah. Then, I mean... then you know, that's that's when you have laid neck. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that is sort of, I don't know, again, maybe it's one of the, it it strongly smacks of, we, like, we kind of like, oh, this character's in place, and may, maybe they will, they'll have it all laid out, and we'll be like, oh, okay, that was your very boring plan from the beginning that you managed well, to underdevelop. But, but do you not also feel that with two issues to go, there, it feels like a red herring? Like, it feels like there's another misdirect coming? Could could be. I mean, that's the thing. I don't even. I was like, were there fifty-one issues, fifty-two issues? Probably. Although I, I personally think if it turns out that there's another man behind the man, or you know, person behind the person at issue fifty-one, I think that that would be. Kind Is that of, too much? I, it's not necessarily like it's too much. It's just the idea of at that point, it either. I feel very strongly that it's important for even if it is Clue Master that that Batman Eternal the fifty two issues storyline like wraps up in you know in those fifty two issues like you can have some threads that you pull forward from mm-hmm. there to there but I would not I would be especially well, unhappy. But they are, they're doing a season two, so I really would not. I mean, especially the way that. DC Comics plotting slash especially Batman plotting mm-hmm. goes, I would not expect a last page of last issue reveal of a shadowy figure right. going, I can't believe they thought it was really the Clue Master. Right, right. Wait until Bruce Wayne sees what I've got planned. Yeah. Logo at the bottom to be continued in 
Batman Eternal Series 2. Right. And I think that would be, I think that that would be, a, again, I think it's a huge mistake. It would not surprise me if they go and make that huge mistake. It would not surprise me at all. Because I personally think that they look at it as like, hey, we did like, you know, we gave you like an entire season of Batman, you know, is 52 weeks. We exactly. Did, we have, Those were definitely 52 Batman comics, everyone. Right. Well, but no, but on top of it, they really do. Like there was that one editorial page where they're like, you got to see the nuts and bolts of Gotham City from the small to the top and the mighty to the low and how all the pieces fit together. And I'm like, we got to see like fucking Batwing, like, punch ghosts in Arkham Asylum septic tank. See, that is not that, the that same. That great. Right. You're like, oh, no, but That really does. They're like, that's the, that's the problem with a lot of these comics. And by these comics, I'm talking about Big Two in general. Mm-hmm. That when you describe them, there is a world in which it is wonderful. Yes. Uh, part of me was thinking that because I was listening to the House of Astonish podcast recently, and mm-hmm. they were talking about Axis and how Axis basically was an idea that would be great for two issues of Uncanny Avengers, but when spread over to 30 issues of a crossover, mm-hmm. it just didn't hold up under its own weight. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, the goodies become the baddies and the baddies become the goodies. It's great for like a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Batwing is punching ghosts in Arkham Asylum Septic Tank. I'm sold. Right. As long as that is like a scene. See, this is the thing, Graham. You're you you left out Element X, our beloved Baxter building Element X, which is my ability to describe things so they sound awesome. <laughs> wow, the modesty there. Well, come on. I feel if you were giving great. me a little bit of my due, I'd be like, no, 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 I'm a terrible person. But the fact that you're like, see, if that was in there, I'm like, it's in there because I'm awesome. I can tell you about other scenes that sound awesome because I'm good at describing them in awesome ways. But believe me, they were unbelievably boring when I read them. Ridiculously so. Like Batwing punching ghosts in Arkham Asylum septic tank. It went on for like five issues. And I mean, it's not, it wasn't like, you See, know. that's like, I totally believe that because it's a DC Weekly book. Yes. Future's End. Future's End is full of ideas that could be great, but they just happen to go on for like three issues. Well, see, and or, or the pacing is so weirdly janky that you're like, I, you know, was this good? I really don't remember. Did this actually happen or are right. they just picking up from this fantasy place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that, uh, I mean, if you look back, there were so many attempts to be like they threw in like story beats and characters to like grow and da da da, and they did all this stuff to reinvent Catwoman or whatever because we got to see you know Cat Dad in prison and stuff. But I, I just it was I one of the things that I think is interesting. Hold on. Is and and I think Batman Eternal tried harder a little bit to do this, um, but there's just there's almost no attempt to make anything have the kind of the snap of resolution. You know what I mean? It all feels kind of strung out. You just really get the sense that this stuff is. It's the comic book equivalent of like when kids like let drool come out of their mouth and see how far it can go down without snapping. Just so many scenes that were like that, you know, that same sort of monotony of like, well, it's pretty impressive because you haven't seen it quite this long before. But, you know, (laughs) 
I honestly feel that you've just described future sense. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, I was so excited by that when it started, and I couldn't even tell you when I realized that it was not going to come together the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently, when I realized that it probably wasn't going to come together, period. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there I, are yeah. distinct points, yeah. Yeah, I, I, rem- I really remember how optimistic I was about the start of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and feel just a little bit foolish because of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, because I think... Well, part of it is because we wanted to believe, and also because when these series start, there's very much that idea of like, oh, we know where we're going. Like... And so there's all these ideas that are kind of front-loaded. There's intima- intimations that you're going to be on this amazing trip. And mm-hmm. I think what happens is, and it makes sense, like, you know, if you look at some place like, you know, if you look at Japan's manga industry where stuff is being published on a weekly basis, like, the editors have remarkable amounts of training in that, you know, they're very much brought up in that system, you know, Mm -hmm. it's been, and it's been around forever. So people grow up reading stuff weekly and they have a sense. Well, that's just that, like, I'd love to see Marvel or DC do a weekly book staffed by 2080 creators. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if it's in the American weekly format, which Mm -hmm. is essentially just a regular issue, Mm -hmm. I'd love to see, People who have written for 2080, and for that matter, who grew up with 2080, mm-hmm. um, attempting it mm-hmm. to see if they basically had a have a better idea of how to pace the damn things. See, and and I think, and I could be wrong. Like, I just, for me, the the fact that the guy, the guys doing 52, who all of them were incredibly experienced, and Morrison, of course, had worked. Had done, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, substantial amount of work for for 2008. Um, I just think that that there is the. I just think that there n- nobody is aware of how much twenty pages of comic book a week, like how much material that is, you know. And yes. so, and so, I really think what happens is everyone sits down, like the Futures End people, the Batman Year One, the Batman Eternal people. Anyone who sat down on a weekly comic front loaded, like loaded up three white screens and still were horrified when they got to the fifth issue and realized they would be wrapping everything up by issue 20 at this rate, you know? Yeah. Because I I think there's just that idea of like, you know, nobody's aware of how big it is. Even, even God help us, I think 2000 AD guys who are used to doing weekly, but in smaller, punchier chunks, you know what I mean? Like... 20 pages of comic is enormous. And and when it's 52 issues, I mean, you've seen, listeners know, for us tromping through the Baxter building, like, we're, we're not even to issue 36 yet. And the Fantastic Four, so much have changed. So much has so happened. Much. So much, yeah, it's yeah. true. And, well, it's so funny. If you look at it, you know, uh, like Morrison's Justice League mm-hmm. lasted 41 issues. Right. Yeah, you know, and you'd think that when the people are planning out the 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 year long weekly books, mm-hmm. they would think in those terms. Yeah, and they don't. I think they always think in terms of time. Yeah, they're like, okay, we'll pace things differently. Right, but you know, we only really need say two years worth of a regular comics mm-hmm. worth of story. Right, and that's just not true. Yeah, no, it's it's 
it's not. And and I think it's interesting that the guys on 52 all kind of talked pretty openly about it. And I still think that 52 is the most, to, not that I've read a ton, but of the weekly American comics that I, I've read, was the most successful. And in part because they just kept, they kind of kept riffing. They At a certain yeah. point, they sort of took their eye off the ball and then did the stuff that interested them. And I kind of feel that's, I feel like sometimes Batman Eternal would have been better off being, you know, if all the storylines that were, that are coming to a head now in issue 50. And really it's just like, Oh, look at everyone, you know, look, the mysterious figures is fucked up Gotham. Like if they got into that at like at issue 20 of, you know, by packed <laughs> issues, they should have, and then they could have done different stuff. Whatever. Yeah. I've I've been feeling exactly the same about Future's End. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you with Eternal, but I, more than once now, I've gone back and read Future's End from the start. Mm. Up to where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and A, it reads much better when mm. you read it like that. But B, you really do just feel far more the, oh, you should have just finished the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you're p- clearly playing for time in this story right now, or you're introducing a plot twist that, that there's no reason for it to be there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you're you're literally, you know, tap dancing on the page mm-hmm. because you're vamping. You realize you, ca- you can't get to the end yet. Right. Um, and the one of, okay, so one of the few big two books I actually read this week mm-hmm. uh, was DC sent me the Superman Doomed Collection. Ooh. I was talking about this last time, remember, because I got the the Superman Wonder Woman collection that had the doomed issues in it, and I was like, it's a crossover that went on far too long and makes no sense. This is what is in Superman Doomed, okay? Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll begin to understand quite how big a crossover this was, because mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really realized at the time. Action Comics issue 30 to 35, Action Comics Annual issue 3. Superman issues 30s and 31. Superman Wonder Woman issues 7 to 12. Superman Wonder Woman Annual 1. Supergirl issues 34 to 35. Superman Doomed issues 1 to 2. <laughs> oh, and Batman Superman issue 11. Wow. So that's a lot of comics. Yeah. Right? I think mm-hmm. you'll agree. Yes. Like, a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and while reading it in a collection with all the chapters in the right order and all the chapters there um, means that you understand it in a way that I, I swear to God, I just did not understand it when it was coming out. <laughs> um, it also seriously underscores the fact that they're vamping through at least half of this comic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also there's far too much story here. Because mm. Super, Superman Doomed is at the start the story of Superman gets attacked by Doomsday. He gets quote unquote infected by Doomsday and turns into Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Right? Straightforward. Right. Except it then adds in oh and by the way Brainiac has already possessed people and then he's going to come to eat the world and the only thing that can stop him is Superman when he's Doomsday. And by the way he's also put a Krypton bomb, Kryptonite bomb, all over the Earth so Superman can't come back to Earth and Lois Lane has psychic powers. <laughs> I was pretty on on 
this train until you got to that very, very end where I'm like, Oh, that, that's a Brainiac story. Like, that's part of the Brainiac story. Oh, man. It's, there's just like, there's far too many disparate elements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, God bless them for making it as coherent as it is. Mm-hmm. On the other, it's, it, it's astounding to read because they really do it honestly seem like they are filling like everything's filler for mm-hmm. like halfway through mm-hmm. and then when they bring in Brainiac it's so out of nowhere mm-hmm. and the resolution is out of nowhere for everything wow like for everything right um yeah it's 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 amazing it's yeah. it's so amazingly long as well mm-hmm. i honestly have no idea i wonder the internet will probably tell me how many pages it is Oh yeah, if you jump over to Amazon or something. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Amazon, do you tell me how many pages this book is? Um, come on. Yes, five hundred and forty-four pages. Good God, that is so, that's a lot. That's long, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long? Let's see. How many pages is Watchmen? <laughs> uh, Unfair, so, I know, but um, I am curious. Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know. So like... Superman Doomed is 544 pages. Right. Which, if you're wondering, is 400, uh, is over 100 pages longer than Watchmen. Which is 416. Wow. And for all, like, that's the, the number of pages in the collection. For all we know, like, there's special covers and stuff in the collection or additional material in the collection. Yeah. So. Oh my god. Well, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is a problem. I mean, that's, that's an enormous problem. Is this on the one hand, I think that there's ways in which people like you and me are attracted to the idea of a long-term storyline, I suppose, or uh, of, you know, it's, it's tough with something like Doomed, because I think, you know, as per our discussion from a couple of, uh, couple of episodes ago you know the the mini events like the universe-wide events are i don't think are doing dc and marvel have to it i think may be doing them more harm in the long run than good you know that the diminishing returns have gotten to a point to where i'll be really curious to see what happens with DC's divergence and whatever the fuck Marvel's doing when Marvel does whatever the fuck it's going to do, you know. (laughs) You mean Secret Wars or you mean after Secret Wars? Well, see, that's it. Yeah, after Secret Wars, I guess. Because I can't imagine, you know. It's all new Marvel, Jeff. Right, right. No, that's that's what it's called. Yeah, but how all new is it going to be, right? You know. (laughs) <laughs> it, it'll be as all new as all new Marvel now and Marvel now. Well, that's what I let's, think. So let's be well. honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it, there is an idea of like, I don't see where I just, I don't know. Part of me is like the, 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 the algebra of crossover events is so built into the way editors at both companies think that I can't imagine that, you know, they're going to come out of things. They're, they're going to come, particularly DC post-convergence. It's going to have a lot of new titles, but, you know, there's still going to be that dark side war that you've, you know, written most of the plot points down and put them in a sealed envelope to, to open after you've read it or whatever, right? Oh, wait, isn't isn't the dark side war just the Justice League, though? 
It's it's not a crossover. It's I, just I, Justice I don't know. Serial. Well, I mean, is it is it among the various Justice League issues? No, I, I think it's or? I think it's literally just in Jeff Johns Justice League. Okay, I think it's like the uh, Amazovirus or whatever the storyline's called. Right. Okay. I didn't know because all this other Earth Two stuff makes it seem like that's supposed to be a bigger part of it, but I don't I don't know. I don't know, right? Isn't that the whole five years later thing makes it sound like Darkseid destroyed Earth Two and the refugees? Oh, that's that's all. That's the yeah, but that's the plot of uh, Earth Two World's End. Like that's literally happening now. Oh, I see. So that's not okay. I thought that was going to end up being part of. No, that that's that's played out. That will that will be over by the time that the Darkseid War starts. Got it. Okay. Well, there we have it. Uh, I I mean, I just I don't know. It 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 is hard to be. It, it's hard because certainly something with Batman Eternal is like oh, I so want to me. I'm like a Batman Weekly comic. I'm still part of me is still like God help me. I I'm tempted to come back for season two, even though I, <laughs> I'm by oh, and large. No, I am I am the same. Mm-hmm. Like DC will announce their next weekly book, and I will make some snarky comment about how you know all of them have been let down with the exception of Fifty Two. And then I will buy it. Right. Right. If they weren't running three weeklies right now, like if they'd done Batman Eternal and mm-hmm. then uh, Future's End and then World's End sequentially, yeah. I probably would have bought them all. Yeah, I, I could. I think I probably would have jumped on uh, one of the other two, certainly. You know, I, I think if, if it fin- Batman Eternal had finished and Future's End had started up, I'm like, uh, sure, sure, I'll give this a go, sure, you know. And that's what you need. You just need them to say, "Sure, I'll give them a go," and then it uh, it's all downhill from there. Yeah, it's a, a little bit, a little bit, because again, I'm just, I'm like, man, a weekly Batman comic. I'm like, it's such a can't miss if you do it right. But I think the difficulty is, I don't <laughs> such think you can miss if you don't miss. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's such a can't miss for a could miss and arguably missed. Uh, series, yeah. No, no, good point. I don't know. Um, let's see. This what episode else did... of Wade Watt listeners <laughs> is brought to you by depression. <laughs> the gift that keeps giving. And also by emotional exhaustion. The other gift that keeps giving. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Ask your doctor about ambivalence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Side effects of ambivalence may be, oh, what the fuck? Who <laughs> So you mentioned Superman. Did you pick up Superman 39 or was it sent to you or is it something? Uh, No, it was not sent to me and I haven't been to the store this week. So I have not. But I've heard lovely things about it. Yeah, it's not it's not bad. I have to say it's very much uh, like, oh, Jeff Johns, I wish you were staying on this book kind of thing. And it's kind of clear. But here's the thing. Would you have said that like last issue with, oh, my God, Superman's gone supernova. And now he's got his new superpower and a new super suit. Uh, I, I feel like you were you were very much on the. I thought I'd like this a lot more, but I don't. Tra- oh, uh, and that's so funny because actually, what it was was I was Mister Like. Hmm, how do I put it? Yeah, I was as the as the wrap up for that storyline. I thought that it was incredibly poor. What I liked that you and I talked about about that were the possibilities and the potentials that it opened up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm, that's I'm super curious as to where uh, Jin Yang's going with it. Yeah, you know, I mean... Because he seems to be going somewhere very different. 
which sort of makes sense to me. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing his stuff. I think I personally think he can write a great Superman. I just think I'll just be curious as to see if slash how like if he's if he just doesn't end up being like Jody Picol, you know what I mean? Where it's just like he's great but he but like the D C system is so screwed up and he has you know, just doesn't know the chops and the ways to maneuver through the political waters that he's just Well, I I'm, I think it's going to be different for a couple of reasons. One, Gene Yang has written comics before. Oh, he's written comics, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, but, yeah but Joe DePico hadn't. And a right. lot of what was problematic with her comics, with her Wonder Woman, was she clearly hadn't written comics before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't just... As, mu- as fun as it is to just be like, well... She was fucked by DC Editorial. And don't get me wrong, she was pretty fucked by DC Editorial. Yeah, pretty But heavily. there were other problems on top of that. Yes, there were, absolutely. That, that, that uh, Gene won't have. Um, and the other thing is, I honestly think there's been enough of a sea change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the environment is different enough mm-hmm. that I don't think he'll run into the same problems. Because don't forget, Jodipika was brought on board to essentially write Amazon's Attack, the lead-in. Yes. Well, at least at least Gene is getting his own story. I mean, but see, how do I put it? I sort of feel like, and I could be wrong, that Jodie Picoult was brought in, and she she was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna get in. I'm gonna get settled with the character. I'm gonna learn how to write some comics." And I feel like editorial came in and was like, "Hey, you're doing this now," you know. And I could be wrong, but I just think that there were ways in which she didn't know how to handle. The, the, the anything, yeah, the 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 idea that someone that editorial is going to call you up and and dictate it, and and frankly, there's a lot of people who are very put out by this aspect of the Dio's DC, um, whereas like suddenly you're steering the boat one way, and then it's in a completely different direction. Like it would not surprise me if that Superman Doom thing that you were talking about, where it was all set to go one way, and then a 10 p.m. call from Dan DiDio to the editors, you know, ended up being like, oh, hey, you know, Convergence is the next big thing. We've got to get Brainiac in there and we have to make him formidable. We're going to put him in here, you know? I, and and I, I, to me, I, Gene Yang is a fantastic comic creator. Um, and I think he, his, there, it sounds ridiculous to say, but I just feel like his values and the values that you would want on a Superman book are just going to mesh yeah. beautifully. Yeah. The, the, the potential is so great yeah. that it's really uh, tempting is the wrong word, but it's really tempting to just be like, oh, I don't even want to think about it because it can't live up to it. Right, exactly. So let me just like blank my mind and not get any expectations set up. But so, but what... But I'd really, say I do kind of wish that I. Yes. This is no real diss on Romita. Mm-hmm. I wish that it wasn't Romita drawing the book. Yeah, well, because I just don't think Romita and Yang are going to be a good mesh. We'll definitely see, but yes, I know what you mean. I, I'm sort of like, you know, I'm like, it's kind of a shame that we can't get someone like Gene Ha to draw on a monthly. Oh no, basis or something like that. I would. Yeah. I would. I would take like Aaron Cooter from Action. I'd literally just do a straight artist swap and mm. give Greg Pak and um, John Romita. Mm. That might be great. I could see where actually Pak and Romita, considering they've worked together over at Marvel, would be a great, 
be a good, strong team. But but my point is, and I could be wrong, is I don't think that you know it's it's my worry is very much that that you know Yang's going to step in. He's going to get two issues under his belt. You know, three issues. He'll submit his third issue, and then he gets you know the email that's kind of like, yeah, hey, listen. Sorry, you know, it's really important that you have Superman kill Lois Lane um, because the trial of Superman is going to be like a really big event in Superman Wonder Woman and we've got a great idea for it and it, we want it to propagate across all the books. And so we're actually giving you – and this is the way I see DC people seeing it. Like we really want to show how awesome your book is. So you need to have Superman, like, cook Lois Lane alive, and that's pretty much the opening of the event. And don't worry, we've got all these things later on down the line. But, you know, that's really going to get people to jump in on your book. And and Gene Yang's in that, like... Somewhere, Greg Rucka is just laughing bitterly. <laughs> right. Because it totally feels like you're describing his, like, his experience on Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, and if you can just have her kill Max Lord... Then that'll totally set up mm-hmm. Infinite Crisis, and then also if you can then devote the rest of your run on the book to Omax attacking Paradise Island, right. that'd be great as well. Yeah, you right. know, because we'll we'll definitely pay it off somewhere. You won't be on the book, but we won't tell you that yet. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there there's a little bit to which I'm sort of, and there are people who know how to. Who, who either have a, a enough respect within the system or they know how to finesse the system. But I know for me, there was a, it was quite an eye opener, um, to hear you talk about a, uh, at the time, very well known popular DC writer who was bringing back one of DC's, uh, landmark characters, um, and was kind of like, when you asked him, it was like, eh, I didn't really want to do this. I was pretty much told I had to do this, you know, kind of thing. Like he was, he was assigned to that book and he was going to make it work, but there was a little bit of the, eh, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing to me how far up that can actually go at DC where people are like someone like Greg Peck's like, sure. Yeah. Okay. I can put Brainiac into this, you know, I am choosing to be optimistic. I, yes. I, honestly, I, I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> I know, really, because, like, historically, right? Like, we have seen DC be like, "Hey, hope you're excited about this. You're excited, great. We're going to do something boneheaded." Like, right. it, historically, that is DC's move, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, it, in my in my take on the comic companies, Marvel is smart but evil. Mm-hmm. And DC is just dumb. <laughs> just dumb. Yeah, it's – well, because I, I feel there's a little bit – sometimes I think that uh, Dan DiDio's biggest curse is being a fanboy. It's also pro- – I mean, it's also his ADD and that he, you know, was trained in an industry where, you know, you always – you're always steamrolling the writers, you know, unless, unless the writers end up with a producer credit, you know, and – and so I think I think the Dio really does get excited about this stuff and is like, oh wait, wait, wait! Here's our big opportunity. Let's have the Omax invade, you know, Paradise Island. Let's let's have Brainiac be the big reveal that is so powerful that you know it, that 
Superman can't stop him. It's like Super Doomsday has to stop him. You know, that kind of thing. It's just sort of like sometimes I think there there's there are ways in which Marvel's whole like you know, has claimed that it's like they give creators enough leeway to, you know, come up with their plans, pitch the room, do the things that they want to do, and then they let them go off and do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's did, yes. oh, sorry, on you go. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I was I was going to qualify that, but let's leave. I, it I was going to say, did you see David Gabriel's interview in ComicBook.com uh, this week about Secret Wars and his attempts to clarify what's going on? No. <laughs> the fact that it didn't. Well, in the middle of this interview, he says, "Like we, like our creators knew exactly what's going on. We gave them a choice. They could either finish their books and replace them with Secret Wars tie-ins, or they could do last days storylines." about the end of the world. And I was like, that's not really a choice. Yeah. It's like, literally, you're doing a tie-in one way or the other. What sort of tie-in do you want to do? Which, yeah, sure, exactly. I guess, is a choice. Is a choice. But it's not really a choice. Yeah, no, it's like, would you rather die by hanging or in the gas chamber? Really, the option is up to you, you know? Yeah, no, well, and so, right. So Marvel says these things, but of course we know there is a secret calculus behind it. And it's not, it's not even so secret that the, the marketing department um, drives a huge chunk of the decisions for the universe, you know, and therefore what they dictate, whether that's the number of characters that have to get killed every year, whether that's the number of events that have to happen every year, and or if those events go super line wide, um, yeah, it does it, – it, it, you have to squint – to see what Mar- in that context to see what Marvel's really talking about when they're like, oh, but no, you've got all the freedom to do it that you want, you know. But I mean, like, I mean I, to play devil's advocate, it is a form of freedom. It, it's a form of freedom, you know. I have like, it, 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 would you rather have that, or would you rather have, you know, your book is ending; it is going to end in two issues, and you have to wrap up all your plot lines. And by the way, can you put a Howard the Duck tie-in in there? Yeah, exactly. You know, depending on how it works, I would have to say that if nothing else, the idea that you know what's coming down the pike six to nine months ahead or a year ahead seems a little bit more palatable than like, oh, hey, good news. Like two months from now, we've decided everybody, you know, (laughs) line-wide event while we move offices you're just going to be out of work just temporarily while we do fill in writers and artists and stuff like that but don't worry when you come back you can totally pick up your stories unless we decide that you can't so enjoy you know like i'm like that doesn't sound great to me let's let's face it so um you know and yet it's been pretty interesting to see how like i picked up the latest issue of batgirl and once again it Part of me, I feel like it handles the Oracle storyline pretty well. It felt like it yeah, felt like I, I, I get. I've had this utterly spoiled for me by a number of people. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> um, but I really like what I have read that they have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like a really uh, smart way of having your cake and eat it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I. I and again, if we believe the creators, which is all we can do, mm-hmm. it's what they want us to do as opposed to editorially driven. No, exactly. Exactly. So, like, yeah, you know, 
talented creators can do some of their things. In some cases, they may have to do them a little bit faster than is optimal. Like I, I felt, I definitely felt that that last issue of Grayson was pretty rushed, uh, unfortunately. Mm. Just, but you know, the issue itself seemed fine. It was just clear from the plot it's, point. Yeah, it should have come later. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this felt great, but it was just, I mean, part of me sort of wrings my hands a little bit when they do the, cause the last page is sort of fun in that there's a, um, uh, you know, some with a character pointing at something and going, so what's that? And they're like, you'll see in June in Batgirl 41. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it really is. I'm like, part of me is like, you know, I just, I really feel uncomfortable. Like this is, this is my long apprenticeship as a comic store clerk under Brian Hibbs. It's like, don't give people jumping off points is a general rule of thumb that I think is pretty sensible. You know, but that's like, that's the opposite of a jumping off point, Jeff. No, sure. I, it's it. Well, no, because it's, to me, it's a jumping off point because there is a, it it feels like it feels like there's an ending. There's a, an unsolved question that they literally point out to you, but it's it's not. Remember when there was all those one year later, um, the the cliffhangers before that, and it just seemed like everyone was being shot into the sun, or like you know, the moon was collapsing on them, or yeah. whatever. And then it was like next month, one year later, and it was kind of sure. Like, but it, but this is that like that is not what Bagar was doing. Bagar was doing a literal cliffhanger. <laughs> Like we're asking a question that we will resolve when we come back. Well, it's a very the, the jump. Yeah. The jumping off point is literally the but you'll have to wait three months, right? And three months from now, you might have forgotten. Yeah, well, which I think is why part of I I both appreciate the fact that there is a to me it's like the best of the goodwill cliffhangers. It's like here's another question, you know, come back for it. But it generally feels like a tidy enough conclusion that, you know, if I were to forget that it were being published or whatever. And I mean, I think that's what I want. I definitely wouldn't want two months of people being like, you know, oh, my God, you're on fire, you know, and then check tune in next month when Marv Wolfman <laughs> and, you know, George Perez are like the wedding of of Barbara Gordon and Donna Troy. That would be awesome. Now that I just said that out loud. The wedding of Barbara. But Donna tries evil now, Jeff. No, but that's the thing. It's a Convergence book. You know, it's back in those days. It's on some other earth where they're getting married. And it makes a hell of I, I have more say, sense than Terry Long. I like the... Uh, <laughs> everything makes more sense than Terry Long. Uh, <laughs> I like... I, I started showing up online now. The the Essentially, this is what you need to know about the characters. Pages mm -hmm. that are going to show, be in all the Convergence books. Uh-huh. Which is like a two-page, literally, like, you might never have read these characters for these versions of these characters. Here's what you need to know about them. Mm -hmm. And so it's a story so far for all of them. Hmm. I think that's I, I, I think that's a nice idea to actually put them in as opposed to literally just go, you read these characters 30 years ago, right? Yes. Right. Exactly. That's okay. Everyone remembers. Oh, yeah. talk about something else that I like mm -hmm. to get me out of my cynicism. Yeah. Uh, you saw that they have named the first villain... Uh, that has been cast for the Supergirl TV show, right? No, I miss that. Vartox. <laughs> is is that is that is that one of the Phantom villain Phantom Zone villains? No, no. Is that the Zardos ripoff? Oh, yes, yes, 
Yes, it is. That would be the yes, best. Yes, it is. Oh my god. <laughs> Poor Supergirl. Sadly, sadly, they're not going to have him in the full outfit. But it would be great if they yeah, tried. They would get sued. But just the fact that they pulled that character out of the oh, he's he's been around for a while. He's um, he Has showed he been up around in the new fifty two. I. I'm not even sure if he's in the new 52. Definitely, um, Palmiotti and Connor were using him in Power Girl. Uh-huh. Uh, as the, as the joke character that you would expect. Yeah. You might have showed up in Harley Quinn, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I see where we're going with this. That's something to feel good about, I guess. Although you've also said good things about the Flash TV show, too. Oh my god, Jeff. The Flash. First of all, I really like it. Secondly, mm-hmm. This week's episode was great. Yeah. Just downright great. Um, people who are watching The Flash and are behind, stop listening now and come back in like a minute. What they did this week, Jeff, is mm-hmm. that they killed off one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. They revealed who the evil villain behind the whole thing is. Mm-hmm. And they had Barry reveal his secret identity to Iris. Which is all pretty big deal stuff, especially yeah. when you've like four episodes left in your show. Mm-hmm. And then at the very last minute of the show, they're like, Groundhog Day. What? And the day starts <laughs> he, all he over ran, again? He ran back in time. Oh. He accidentally ran back in time. So in other words, they got to do all the big shit. Right. And then we're like, actually, <laughs> he, we're probably going to do it next week. But I loved that because it was the first time in a long time where I've seen something like that, and my first impulse wasn't, I wonder how they're going to undo it. Mm-hmm. Instead, I was just like, holy shit! I mean, I really was. I said that out loud when they killed off the character. Because <laughs> I was like, they've, they've just killed him off! Because mm-hmm. he's enough of a supporting character that you could just kill him off and mm-hmm. leave him dead, you know? Right. Um, but I really was like, I, I can't believe they did that! that that's amazing! <laughs> and then, then they're like, whoop-de-doop, yoink! <laughs> but it's but in such a way that they've teased it enough in earlier episodes mm-hmm. that it didn't feel like a cheat. So yeah, I, it's it's just a very fun show that plays with the tropes really well. Well, uh, so hmm. but you don't think they're necessarily a replacement for the comics per se, right? Right? Like it's not the sort of thing where you're like, if you're feeling down about the big two, but you're up on Flash or or kind of. Uh, well, here's like if, if, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're feeling down on the big two, especially if you're one of these people who is like, DC, I used to love DC, I can't read DC anymore. I think something like Flash, the TV show, is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think it does give you not only the tropes, but the characters mm-hmm. um, in a recognizable form, if not an identical form. Mm-hmm. But within, I mean, The Flash is a fun show. That yeah. is the thing. It is, it is fun. It is joyful. It is, it's not grim. Mm-hmm. And they have lots of chances to be grim. And when characters are killed or whatever, it's never played as like, now I am powered by angst. Mm-hmm. But instead, uh, this is terrible. How is he going, like, what's the hero going to do next? It's more <laughs> of the tone. Um, which I, you know, I really appreciate, and I think does play against uh, the, the the conventional superhero comic narrative. Like one of the other things I was reading this week, one of the other big two books I was reading this week was I was catching up on Avengers and New Avengers and Marvel Unlimited, mm. and that is 
staggeringly bleak. <laughs> I mean, holy shit, bleak. It's a point where I, I don't have the emotional connection with the Marvel characters that you do, even. Right. But a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. But for everyone that talks about, you know, the DC characters are so grim. If I had an emotional connection with these characters, I would... I don't know I'd be thinking. Because it's literally... And now they're blowing up worlds. Right. They've got no choice. Yeah. Everything's ending and they're just forced into this impossible situation. Oh, no. (laughs) See, I I had that reaction from the first issue of Hickman's... Jesus, which one? Well, or third issue, I think. Wherever it came about in... Is it New Avengers that had the whole, like, worlds colliding aspect? Yes, New Avengers, yeah. Yeah. Like, three or four issues into it where they did a, like, there's no way to solve this. Wait, let's try the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, all it did was destroy the gems. We're super fucked. Like, I kind of had this, like, I just didn't buy into it. Like, I really oh, had you should, kind of you should have kept reading for the next 30 issues. Right. Oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. Jeff. I mean, seriously, it is staggeringly bleak. Right. Uh, the Doctor Strange sells his soul to be- become powered by Lovecraftian gods. But guess what? He sold his soul for no reason because he becomes it. And then the other heroes are like, he's too monstrous. We'll have to take him down. And like, Namor destroys Wakanda. Right. Uh, yes. But keeps it hidden. And then... He he brings it out and goes, "No, I did do it." And then the Black Panther wants to kill him. And, you know, it's just it's 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 appallingly bleak. And so that's New Avengers. And then Avengers is right now in the original Sintian issues in, in mm-hmm. Marvel Unlimited, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, the plot is literally. Cap keeps getting thrown into the future. We discovers that. Guess what? Everyone shits, and he's been betrayed by his friends, and even if the heroes survive, they'll be killed by Ultrons, but then he'll find out that they're not really killed by Ultrons, because maybe just destruction will do everything. And it's just, I mean, oh my god, so hilariously bleak, and so, um... Like childishly bleak, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there's something amazingly adolescent about its refusal to accept. Um, it, it's I, I can't remember who said this, but I, there's there is something very like adolescent teenager about. Well, everyone's compromised. Right. Everyone's got to sell out somehow. Right. Right, right. You know, right. and and that is your worldview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, superheroes are dumb. They've got to sell out because they're going to come up against up against something that they can't solve. Well, see, and that I think that is one of the things that really bothered me about about the book is just kind of like I don't know. I it it was if it was just too plot hammered. Like I sort of feel like it would be one thing if you came to some of those things very naturally, but. But to me, just that whole idea that they were like, well, it's three, you know, like, well, it's three issues in and we're, you know, we're fucked, basically. Like, it's clear the only way that we can keep our universe alive is to kill other universes. And I'm I'm like, I'm sorry, I understand that the Marvel heroes are somewhat grittier, supposed to be somewhat gritty, but I don't think most of them would accept that. And also, it just seems 
ludicrous. Maybe it go as things go on, it becomes more of a um, Hickman's able to because he he clearly pays attention to previous Marvel continuity, but just for people to talk about that and come to that conclusion three issues in without any sort of larger discussion about what some of those characters know about the state of the multiverse or realities or whatever just seemed, I just, it just seemed untenable to me, you know? So part of me is like, I'm not sure that I would, it's, so it's one thing, part of me is like, it's one thing if you can get to the, to the really depressing everyone sells out point, quote unquote, honestly, which I kind of feel that you can do, but when it's, that way, because it's a plot hammer and they have no other choice but to react that way, I'm like, but, it, you know, it smacks too much of fractions like, no, but look, see, it happened, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's just like, it doesn't, it just doesn't jibe well with me. I, I mean, the thing that I think is fascinating is you have reached a point cl clearly with both of the big two where continuity is such a huge sprawling mess that you can't, you do have to kind of mark off your territory in your sand and kind of say like, okay, well, here's how, here's how things are going to work in my universe and here's what's going to happen here. But, you know, again, it's sort of like when I don't even think of myself as a heavy duty, um, you know, continuity purist, I'm perfectly happy when things happen in their own little bubble worlds. But if you're, if your point of say Avengers versus X-Men is like, Phoenix is coming back and we're going to pretend that she's never come back before, even though, you know, our comics she's are come littered back like with four her or coming five back. Times. Yeah. yeah. At that point, I'm just like, well, I don't care. You're just, you're just playing make believe. I know that sounds ridiculous because of course it's all make believe, but it's like if, if the, there's all these, Oh well, no, you, you have to, you have to play fair with the rules. Yeah. Like you, know? you don't get to say my story counts, but this other story doesn't count. Right. That that's or that's not true. You can totally say that. Yes, but you also can't be surprised when readers don't believe you or don't want to play along. Well, or yeah, I mean, and who knows? Maybe some of it is is putting the 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 cart before the horse. But uh, I, you know, I was <laughs> I was talking with my friend uh, John, who's kind of been getting into multiversity thanks to the aid of all the excellent annotations provided by David Uzumeri and going backwards and checking out basically other Morrison events and kind of revisiting final crisis and stuff mm -hmm. and talking with my friend about it. It was such a, uh, like I really thank goodness had read a not, not only enough annotations, but also interviews with Morrison to, to know what he was doing. But there were points where he kind of was like, yeah, I just, you know, the way that he had to hand wave around uh, away uh, countdown, like, I mean, it was very discreet, but he did take the time to do it in a way of like, yeah, you know, dark side shot falling through time rips apart space time fabric. So things happen and people remember them differently and whether or not they happened is up in the air. I'm kind of like mm -hmm. that. It that just that most minimal amount of hand wavery, that's clever because it's like it buys into uh, I'll buy into the rest of it since you've already got you know uh, uh, a god tumbling through space time to to collapse and become the black hole at the center of our galaxy I'm like okay I'm in you know but that sort of like oh yeah you know the gauntlet's not gonna work why well you know 
Stop. Well, to, but to be fair, he brings that he did bring that back for the original sin thing. Mm-hmm. He still not really explained it, mm-hmm. but he did bring it back. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I see what you're saying. I think that Hickman is especially guilty in his Avengers run, but is was also guilty in his Fantastic Four run. Mm-hmm. Um, of things happening because they say they happen. Yes. And they, and that he works out the consequences of those things. Sure, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, for my money, a little bit inorganically, but you know, I, right. a lot of people seem to take that. Mm-hmm. But the problem is really that he doesn't seed things. Mm-hmm. So things always start with the like status quo beginning. Right. You know, like everything is different now. Right. And now I'll go through the fallout as opposed to building to it. Right. Well, I'll go through the fallout, but also just how, and uh, sorry, I'm I'm definitely going to be a broken record here, how passive the characters are to their situations. Like there is a lot of them being like, okay, I got to not pay attention to this huge thing so that it can come back later. You know, that happens a lot. And frankly, I remember being, I, I, I feel that Hickman is following in what kind of, to me, was a very well-worn path of Bendis's Avengers, where it's like Bendis would throw stuff out there, people would react to it, and then later they'd just be like, eh, whatever, time to go home. Like, eh, you know, like it's, it, it, you know, we could be investigating, you know, who broke those people out of the raft, you know, and back in the old days, we would at least have one person sitting at a computer while another person asked them if they turned up anything in their search. But instead we'll just eh, we'll let it sit around. Maybe it'll be six issues. Maybe it'll be 18 issues. You know, maybe it'll be 36 issues, but in theory, we'll get around to it, you know? And I, I just, but meanwhile, that's long-term planning, Jeff. That's right. Called we'll days. see, but okay. Yeah, exactly. But it, the long-term planning really seems to just involve the the heroes being like really static and reactive again in a way that I as a reader wasn't trained to. I mean, even when we were doing our Avengers read-through, as terrible as some of those issues were, there was at, at least, least they did stuff. <laughs> yeah, they did stuff. You know what I mean? It was kind of like well, I, part of me now wants to set you homework of reading all the Hickman Avengers. Oh, wow. That seems amazingly cruel. Yeah, I'm like, but no, I, I should really, do it. I and I should. It, yeah. Impossibly cruel. Yeah, but because I don't, I think that Hickman is not actually doing what you you're complaining about. Mm-hmm. I think he is, or that's not true. I think he is doing what you're complaining about, but not exactly. Because I think that he tries to come up with enough things to distract from the the obvious thing that he has set in motion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it is. We have problem, there is obvious solution A, but we are looking instead at not so obvious solution B first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so I don't think he's, I don't think it's quite as, uh, careless as I, as I think you're describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And pardon me, like, you, like I, I'm curious if you read, if you agree, or if you just be like, no. <laughs> It's exactly what I thought it was. I no, I, I should jump in because if nothing else, I, I just if I just feel it's kind of boring to <laughs> complaining about comics without reading them is for other people, Graham McMillan. We're better than that. We complain about the comics we actually read. So yeah, I think I think I'll make it a point to to jump in and check that out. Can I non complain about a couple of things I read? Mm, okay. <laughs> uh so 
going back to the, hey, I'm reading things that aren't big to comics. I caught up on a couple of uh, first second books this weekend. Oh, great. One is one that I really should have read a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, one is one I didn't even know existed until I saw it in the library. Wow. Uh, to start with that one, uh, IRL, In Real Life, by Cory Doctorow and Jen Wang. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a book about a teenage girl who starts playing essentially Worlds of Warcraft. Because mm-hmm. you can't call it Worlds of Warcraft because of copyright, but it's Worlds of Warcraft. Um, and the social situations and political situations that she discovers as a result. Mm-hmm. Because she starts interacting with uh, kids in China who are essentially it's their job to, yeah, gold to play the system. Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it is uh, in terms of story, mm-hmm. uh, it's simplistic as hell mm-hmm. in a way that is really annoying. It's it's very preachy and it's very hey kids, mm-hmm. do you know injustice exists? Do you know that you know? Things are a little bit more complicated than you think, mm-hmm. uh, which is like really, you know, irritating to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kept going through the whole thing because Jen Wang's art is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It is literally a comic that you will keep going through purely because it looks so good. Mm-hmm. So good. It is the most beautifully illustrated book. Um, and I really appreciate that. It's a book about video games in which the majority of the action actually takes place inside the video game world. Mm. Um, and Wang does not even vaguely go towards a, maybe I'll give it a fun 8-bit, 8-bit style. Mm-hmm. It is like watercolor pencil work. Mm. And it's just lovely, Jeff. It's gorgeous. Um, so I, it's one of those I ha- like. I recommend you read it like I did. Getting it at libraries will cost you no money. Right. But for the art alone... It's worth picking up. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous looking book. Um, the other one is also a gorgeous, gorgeous book, which is This One Summer. Mm-hmm. Jillian Tamaki, Mariko Tamaki. Uh, is it really Jillian Tamaki, Mariko Tamaki? It is. For some reason, I thought they had, they had different names. Um, the graphic novel just won the Caldecourt Prize. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, story-wise, it's not entirely for me. But Jeff, the art is jaw-dropping yeah it's it's the most beautiful comic i've seen in a long time wow it, it is it's it's so it's so beautiful not only in uh in mariko tamaki's line work mm-hmm. which is super spare uh and she's a big fan of using solid blacks in areas that that really work well uh, mm-hmm. but also her sense of pacing is just amazing. I mean, inspirational amazing. Mm-hmm. She's clearly taken a lot from the fact that it's, uh, like, like a lot of manga, the, the length of the book gives her time to really play with the pacing of, of very simple scenes. Mm-hmm. So at one point, there's a bridge between scenes and all it is is a two page spread, or not even spread, two pages and it's two full page images of a character on his bike, completely silent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, just the drawing is so beautiful. Nice. And it's so simple. And it's, she controls the speed at which you experience everything. Mm-hmm. So that even if when you get these silent pages, instead of going like, oh, it's a guy doing his bike, which 
it sounds like I'm dissing artists by saying this, but I think in an American comic or a traditional American comic, like a, a Marvel or DC comic or an image comic, mm-hmm. you would. Do you know what I mean? You'd be like, oh, it's a guy on the bike. That's cute. And then go over. Like, the, the, there's such care and attention in the, in the, the art mm-hmm. that you take it in. Like, you read the page. You read the image. Like you focus on the individual elements and it's just, it's wonderful. Again, the story is not, I'm very much not the target audience for this book. Like right. I'm a 40 year old dude. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, this is, this is clearly a YA novel. It's mm-hmm. clearly a YA novel, uh, based at, at teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still appreciate the writing a lot, but the art, Jeff, holy shit. Wow. Well, that I, definitely sounds like one to grab amazing. from the library as yeah. well. So, um, I also grabbed Bad Houses. Oh yeah, which you talked about ages. ago. Yeah, 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 a long time ago. How did? What did you think? I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked it. Um, again, I think one of the reasons I really liked it was Carly Speed McNeil's art. Oh, God, yes, which, which really mm-hmm. humanizes parts that I think would be under a different artist would read entirely differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think she really brings a lot to the story. I really appreciated what Sarah was doing with the story, though. Sarah Ryan does some really nice, subtle things with the story yeah. that feel entirely organic and yet not expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you you get genuine surprise, and it feels earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I really, really appreciated. It. I really liked it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was it was um, yeah, not perfect, but like a little gem in its own way and just yeah i i agree and and in many ways i think if it was more perfect mm-hmm. quote unquote it wouldn't be as good mm-hmm. there's some there's something about its imperfections that i really liked like it feels very um personal it feels it it feels genuine i guess it feels genuine i guess how do i put it like um like I, it's a shame, like, my memory is bad enough that it would, I couldn't sit there and do a point-by-point comparison, but one of the things that struck me is, is that it's a shame that, you know, with Scott McCloud's The Sculptor out, it got this big push of, like, this, this, you know, because McCloud being McCloud is like, yeah, here's, here is the guy you know, who taught us all about comics, here is his super long graphic novel and, you know, it's a big piece of literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel that for me, as you remember me complaining up and down and, you know, side to side, I felt that it didn't feel especially it seemed pretty pale compared to quote unquote real literature. Whereas one of the things that struck me about bad houses is that it was much more of a, you know, quote unquote literary work. It it yes. was a, you know, it's a graphic novel, you know, it, it tells all of its points visually, but I sort of felt that the construction of the characters and the ways in which they're flawed and the ways in which things well, thematically they, echo, you know? Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was much more of a adult work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's the characters felt real. It felt more grounded. Mm-hmm. 
than the sculptor, and not because of the the magical elements of the sculptor. Yes, but because the sculptor reduces all of its characters to very simple. Mm-hmm. You know, they are X, they want Y. Yeah, and yeah. for that matter, it only really does that for the lead character. All the other characters revolve around that lead character, and are 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 not characters in and of themselves. Whereas in Bad Houses, and for that matter, in This One Summer, mm-hmm. um, every character has an internal life. Yeah. yeah. Every they... character feels like they could, in another world, be shouldering the the narrative weight of the story. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that Bad Houses does really well is, I think the lead characters and not even all the lead characters but but some of the supporting characters as well do shoulder the narrative way of the story at some point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I i agree i think that that's uh i think it, i think it moves point. around which mm-hmm. I, I it really i really appreciate as a reader um and and there's an element of that mm-hmm. uh in the in this one summer as well Interesting. Interesting. Well, let me let me return the favor and say that thanks to you, but also uh, Comixology's um, handful of free South by Southwest books. Uh, oh, I totally didn't buy them. God damn it! Real? You didn't get any of their? No. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I to- I meant to do a lot of that this weekend, and this mm-hmm. weekend, as you know, I lost internet. Oh, that's right. If you lost the internet, because a good chunk of the deals expired by like Sunday at midnight, what have you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I did pick up uh, issue one of the Black Hood, which was offered for free. Um, oh, yes. And it was great. I really have I to say. I thought man. you'd like it. Yes, I. I liked it quite a bit um and you said you're like yeah you should pick it up if you dig you know bendis's daredevil which i sort of get from the look of it but honestly uh for me and i don't necessarily mean to 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 you know trample all over your uh your synopsis trample away friends but but yeah uh listeners if you want a superhero comic that is really close to a fucked up crime comic. Like if you kind of want to see <laughs> how Sursinski break out his crime jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really strong. It very much is kind of like, let's say you wanted to see how Brubaker and Phillips would do superheroes in the world of criminal pick out black hood. Number one, cause it is, it is really strong. It went to such a fucked up place really grim and depressing and fascinating. And just even where it ends is the first issue. It's just like, it's, it really is. um, It is, it is a superhero book, at least at this point in, in such the loosest of terms and in such a surprisingly satisfying way. I really dug that first issue of black hood a lot. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for the recommendation. I mean, definitely it helped that it was free, but I made it a point to jump on it because of that, because of what you said. And now I'm definitely like, I've got to come back for, well, you know, issues. Archie is, Archie is doing like smart stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like Afterlife with Archie is great. Mm-hmm. The first issue of Sabrina was great. And thank God they finally scheduled the second. Yeah. Did you see, see that? Like they've they've basically relaunched both books. Yeah, uh, I I saw some sort of announcement on Bleeding Cool that's like, hey, here's the Archie horror line. I'm like, uh huh, 
you know. Yeah, so the, uh, our, uh, Sabrina is out in April, Afterlife is back in May. Mm-hmm. And they basically are like, hey, you guys, we might have completely disappeared for a while, but we're, we're going to be on top of that now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Black Hoods is, is a super strong uh, launch. The Fox, because it, it's the same creators who did the last series, yeah. is nothing like that in terms of tone. Yes. It's is nice and goofy. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited about The Shield from mm-hmm. what I've seen. I, Archie is out of nowhere doing it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that Archie was necessarily doing it wrong before, but Archie is branching into different genres and doing it right straight away. Right. And, and doing it right in some ways that are surprisingly satisfying. Yeah. Black Code number yeah. one was really strong out of the gate. It was not just a, oh yeah, I guess this is fine as a, but I mean that it, and it wasn't even like part of me was like, oh, okay, so we're going to get something that's going to seem more of a, like almost uh, like a Valiant thing, which like I said, Valiant itself does a lot of stuff right. And which, you know, I tuned out, but I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to circle around. I'm going to tune back in. I've got a huge humble bundle or whatever, but, but the Black Hood, Number one by itself was like, how do I put it? It it was a quality. It it was a, like a great standalone product. I don't know where they're gonna go or if they want to tie them in with all the rest of the stuff. I kind of hope they don't, because because being I, able I, to keep different I tones. Almost, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not even sure they could. Yeah. I can't imagine a Black Hood Fox crossover. Yeah, certainly not. Sir, absolutely not. It's hard, and that's it. My things like I don't even know how they would tie Black Hood in with anyone so yeah no that was great um i what else do i want to talk about there there's kind of a like you know uh, in another universe we ended up with me just totally um haranguing you about all these uh silver age flash comics that i read um, which, as you know, I wrote a, a which piece we about. actually did in the yeah the, the non-recorded call that we did for Baxter Building last time. That's right, that's right. Um, <laughs> but I, I do want to say because I don't think I got to it there much. Um, but I enjoyed those issues tremendously. I'm pretty sure the sale is over by now, over. isn't it? It, yeah. it finished on sixteenth. Yeah, yeah, and um, but. I was a. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed the Silver Age books, Silver Age Flash stuff generally. Um, but the thing that actually shocked me more is I kind of walked out of those books with a feeling that I don't really have, which is this weird way in which the Flash, particularly Barry Allen, was a way more consistent character than I was expecting. You know. Um, cause you know, for me, I'm kind of like, uh, this is unfair, but I, I sort of feel like a lot of the silver age heroes of DC felt relatively interchangeable to me. You know, it was like, oh, they're different because of their powers, but they're basically just like the same Joe, like having read a bunch of yeah. issues of say, except this, they really weren't. Well, that's. Sort of what I'm figuring out. I don't necessarily know how it's going to break down for the other characters, but I was well, – yes. It, it, I was – like I would send you in the direction of like the Showcase Presents Green Lantern books. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, the, the – I might be misremembering, but I want to say there's either a volume that's just before or just after 
the Green Lantern, Green Arrow mm-hmm. um, series by Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's like you can't imagine him being any other character. I, I, uh, but I by which I mean Hal Jordan. I don't mean yes. Like yeah, he's yeah. got a particular set of superpowers. I mean Hal Jordan is very distinct in and of his secret identity. In the same way that I think Barry Allen is. Uh, uh, okay, at the risk of being a complete jerk, I totally get that and I believe it. I also feel when you say something like the Denny O'Neill, like post-Denny O'Neill or Neil Adams, to me that's right around the time that DC is like, okay, we've got to actually do we, something. Yeah, we've got to we, – like we'll have the B characters. Okay, fine. Like, Oh, you're you're meaning earlier than that. You're meaning yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the Gardner Fox era. Okay. Yeah, like in the John Broom Flash era – one of the things that struck me that Carrie Bates, as far as I can tell, goes on to pick up on very clearly, because um, there were a few issues where there's like an issue where like Iris goes in for like a TV interview and Barry's waiting in the green room for her, but of course he changes to Flash and does like nine million different things, and I can't remember if that's the issue where he fights. Mirror Masters, like, universe of, of hot women or, or what. But um, but he comes back and he's kind of like, you know, he's there and she's like, ah, oh, you know, Barry, you may be slow and lazy, but you're a loyal boyfriend. And I was kind of like, as a slow and lazy person, I was like, wow. And, of course, Barry Allen's like, oh, if only she knew, you know. And then later in that whole uh, – in the backup story where Barry Allen like goes back to his hometown and ends up meeting his, you know, his former love, who's now like a big Hollywood star and the producer, her press agent wants to manufacture the story. (laughs) Have you, you did. (laughs) So there's, there's the story. There's that story with the amazing pointless dream sequence of him as a kid rescuing her from a bull. And they even have a, like, have we pulled a prize boner? Like he didn't have powers back then. Just wait though. And I'm like, wait for like the rest of the issue goes on. And it's like, wait, as we never mention it again, readers, you know, but just wait, Jeff. Eventually. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like at the very end of like Hickman's Avengers, it's going to be like, and also this caused the time stream to send a dream in which Barry Allen as a kid rescues a girl from a bull you're welcome, DC. Um, I, there's a there's a point where he's showing her around town or something, and she she also refers to him as the slowest, laziest boy that she knew. And he's kind of like, eh, yeah, whatever, you know. And I was kind of like, admittedly, as a slow, lazy guy, I'm like, I'm suddenly crazily endeared to Barry Allen. Tell me more. But exactly, tell me about your slow laziness, Barry. What's great is. And you don't see it so much in the issues where he, in the Silver Age issues where he's by himself per se. But when he gets into when you have the issues where he is racing Superman, he is weirdly insecure about racing Superman. And it never comes out other than just sort of a flash being like, well, come on, we still have to do this race so that we can prove who's fastest like at every time. It's very consistent that Barry Allen is actually obsessed with being faster than Superman. Like at every point, like there's one point where they're like crisscrossing the globe for some point. And he's like, hey, as long as we're doing it, let's make it a race and we can see which one of us is faster. And 
again, you know, because we never found out last time. And and Superman's like, sure, I'm game. And then by the time you get to, and this is a Denny O'Neill scripted two-parter in like World's Finest, that's the two-parter where they're racing across the galaxy and then it has the two of them. It's great. They're both racing. Like they've landed on a planet and like Flash is like, Flash is like twisted his like broken a leg and like Superman's like twisted an ankle and they've got like 35 minutes before the galaxy crusher goes off in this compound across the way. So they're both depowered and they're crawling across the desert to try and get in there and stop it. And it, and it's so corny because it's like, yes, ironic that you see these two great men crawl as they race the, you know, whatever it's like like denny o'neill being like hey it's the 70s it's the on the nose decade um but but again flash is so goddamn insecure about it and then later when you have carrie bates pick up the flash and it's in the 70s and it's in the characterization era there's that amazing you know the 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 ice storm issue or the american beauty issue depending on what you want to call it where Barry shows up, at, you know, is con- summoned by a, a teenage girl with ESP to meet her in a seedy motel room. This, yeah, you were talking about this. This this issue seems to fascinate you. As well it should, Graham. I mean, oh my god, how can I not say that? And you not be like, let me get to that issue now. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because there's a little bit of the... I don't, I don't, I don't have the same... Uh... Right. Weird, freaky obsession with such issues as you do. Well, there you go, Graham. More, <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. More loss. The loss, it's, 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 it's more, more the shame you, I guess. It, it leaves the back issues available for you. Yeah. Well, but see, this is it. Digitally, I'd be all over it, but like, they literally don't have the issue before, but it's clear that there has been problems in the Barry Iris marriage that have been building up, and she, doesn't trust him and, uh, you know, thinks that he's hiding something. And of course then manages to find her in a motel room where, you know, a teenage girl has made him unmask, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but, but psychically, but I mean, it's basically Barry's midlife crisis marriages on the rocks situation and Carrie Bates by virtue of throwing in a character with ESP turns it into a situation in which it's, um, He's able to have his cake and eat it too. It's like, it's that situation and yet it's not. But one of the great fallouts is when he takes off his mask and she's like, oh, I thought you'd be really someone like your face is just too ordinary. Like you're just a guy. Oh my God. What was that in? That was in something else recently as well. Oh, was it? It was a a Dan Slott Spider-Man comic. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Where... Spider-Man takes off his mask and no one gets a photograph of it. And everyone's like, he's just a guy with brown hair. Right, right, exactly. Like, they're like, I have no idea who that is. Yeah, I exactly. Forget. Yeah, no, totally. Well, and so he kind of has that thing of, so I'm used to, yeah, because I remember when that, that, that is a trope that I also remember from Spider-Man, weirdly enough. Um, but, but I love the fact that after the afterwards, he's I, so she basically leaves. She's like, "Screw that!" And he basically is looking in the mirror, and he's like, "Ordinary." I thought it was a little bit, you know, just that classic guy thing, which I think is great. He's like, "Iris never thought I was ordinary." And later, when he's like with Iris after, you know, she of course finds him in the hotel room, assumes the worst. He's able to comfort her. They decide that they should have kids to kind of, you know, like. 
that's what this marriage really needs to get itself on square footing, a baby. Um, but, you know, as they're talking, he's like, yeah, she, she called me ordinary, you know, and, and she, and Iris is like, oh, Barry, you're always, you, you're not ordinary. You're like, you are handsome. You're handsome to me. You'll always be handsome to me. I, you know? I'm so is this before she knew his secret identity? Is the, is what's upsetting her that she doesn't know that he's the Flash? You know, I'm not sure because of the gaps in the issues. Because the previous okay. gap I, in the Flash 500 is them getting married. And I was shocked yeah, that okay. he got married and kept his secret. You know? Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. And then, unless I'm totally mixing up my DC heroes, which is possible, I won't say that he tells her in his sleep. Uh, right. Like, she finds out because he says something in his sleep. As far as I can tell, like, so when I read the issue, I was like, oh, my God, the whole idea that she thinks he's having an affair because he's off being a superhero, kind of great. But it is. It's really great. You know, not something you can really honestly address in a 1970s DC comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the fact that but but it turns out by that point, I think she did know because she's. When she breaks in on the hotel room and he's there in the flash uniform and the girl. I guess if the mask is off, then. Yeah, Yeah, she's not surprised or anything. It's more the idea of like, oh, my God. Anyway, so all this stuff gets set up for, um, you know, the the ice storm-esque. But that's actually beside the point. There's all the other awesome stuff that Carrie Bates goes on to do that makes me wish that all of that stuff was available in digital because I would buy all of it. Well, I... I say that with some severe caveats, as in, I already confessed to you, I could not bring myself to pull the trigger on the issues that are being drawn by Don Heck. But the Alex wow, Savick that, issues that, is, that are being drawn. That is sad. Um, also, you know that Carrie Bates wrote The Flash for a really long time. Oh, right? yeah. No, I do know. I do know. Like, <laughs> believe me, because I, in doing the research, I know it, the the... The introduction of Earth Zero is pretty much Carrie Bates's first issue, and it's like issue one sixty, whatever, you know. And then uh, comes... six rounds to three fifty. We'll see. That's it. He comes and goes, but he's there from something like two oh seven, I want to say, to three fifty. So it's that's a lot. I mean, that is a significant number of issues, and I don't necessarily begrudge DC for not collecting them. Although I'm fascinated by the piecemeal way with which they put stuff in the flash 500 sale, but, um, you know, and in reading it, I remembered like, Oh, right. Like in Inkelhart's JLA, which you lent me and I still haven't finished, but like the first three or four, <laughs> I, issues, was just about that the other yeah, I bet you were, uh, first three or four issues, you know, you've got, um, Wonder Woman basically picking on Barry Allen and, and, at one point she says like, oh, you know, I had to prove myself because, you know, I didn't think you people, you know, I didn't want you all keeping an eye on me because I had to literally pass all these trials to get back into the team. Um, but she's like, yeah, and of course I started picking on Barry because he's such a chauvinist. But one of the things that really struck me is like Barry's pretty insecure underneath Wonder Woman's uh, constant criticism. He actually is like an insecure dude. And I'm kind of like, so Barry, so I kind of had this thing of like, is it Barry Allen? Is it, was it Canon that he's supposed to be like an insecure guy? Or is this just this? Cause it's very, very, very understated in a lot of these well, issues, but, but it's also consistent. think about it. It's yeah, but it's Engelhart. Like, you know, Engelhart would have read the book, like yeah. read the flash. Right. I'd been like, okay, I get it. That's right. who that guy is. 
Yes. And that's, that's what made me think like, oh my God, I think he really did connect those dots. And I think those dots are there. And it's, and it's a shame, of course. I mean, I don't know. We're so far away from that Barry Allen, like that, that's just a name that I feel is being hung on, you know, the character since returning to the DC universe, which is fine. But part of me is kind of like, oh man, kind of, I had that weird moment of like, what a shame if like there was a surprisingly sort of subtle characterization that was going on with this hero that just, you know, of course no one really paid attention to when they brought him back, you know? Yeah. And, and also no one really, um, noticed enough Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, because because, as, as as everyone says, Barry mm -hmm. Allen really is known predominantly for dying. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. And when he comes back, he's suddenly predominantly known for coming back. And I don't know. I mean, in theory, that should have been, uh, I, you know, all that stuff was moot by the time you get the new 52 Flash title. But by the, you know, having read like 16 issues of it or whatever, as much as I enjoyed the book, I didn't really think that Barry Allen's characterization was the the glue holding the book together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would have been hard pressed to say how he was, you know, who he was apart from the fact that he wasn't a dick, you know? I mean, that seems like the, sadly, my biggest, <laughs> biggest way of trying to characterize people in the new 52 dick, not dick. Oh, well, he's not a dick. Well, actually under this writer, he's a dick, but most of the time this character is not a dick, you know? Um, I think that seems fair. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So people, honestly, if you've, I don't know what the prices for those flash issues went up to if they were a dollar 99. Probably 199. Yeah. Which is a shame. I wish they were 99 because I think it would be a lot easier to get people to pick them up. But, you know, I know they've got, but you can have a sale, Jeff, if everything is the same price. Oh yeah. Good point. Right. It'll go back to one ninety nine. Well hopefully they'll drop it down later. I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Stop asking me questions. God damn it, Cram. I also have to say that Superman one ninety nine, which is the first Superman Flash race, is fantastic. The second oh, it's really one good. which pops up by E. Nelson Bridwell, but yeah, that first one, have you read it? Yeah. Oh my god, so great. Listeners, if you wanna if you have to read just one Superman Flash story and you really like Kurt Swan art, pick up Superman. See? Gus and Ernie are, are vociferous. They they agree. Me. Yeah. They they definitely agree, yeah. Uh I will actually disagree with you, Jeff. If you have to pick up one Superman Flash uh, race, pick up uh the first couple of issues of DC Comics Presents. Yeah, I was just starting the Martin Pasco stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading I, it before we I really like it. Okay. I, I really, yeah. I, but then I'm a sucker for DC Comics Presents at the best of times. Well, I, you'll be I, happy to know it rubbed off on me. Like when the Flash 500 sale was going on and I was like, oh, DC Comics Presents, I have to buy those. Like it's that weird, like I will buy DC Comics Presents on sale. Like all they have to do is be on sale. It's not as yeah, it's, it's, Bob Haney's Brave and the Bold, but it is. I was like, going to say Brave and the Bold is the same. Brave and the Bold is when yeah. you're like, that's on sale and it's the Haney. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. That is that is about as close as you can get. I, I don't care who the guest star is. If it's Bob Haney writing and it's Batman Brave and the Bold. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. So, and in fact, I haven't actually read the Brave and the Bold issues that I picked up. So 
kind of kind of backlogged. Well, because I bought what them and I got into doing? these flash things. I know, right? Well, uh, I read. Let me tell you, you and the listeners, because I'm sure we're on the home stretch here. I read Howard the Duck number one, which I really should have mentioned earlier because I want to talk about it. Except I don't know how. I don't know how. Okay, why why don't you know how? First of all. I have to tell you, part of me was like, I can't believe you bought that comic, Jeff. Well, so... Like, genuinely, and I don't know why I sure. have this weird thing about Howard the Duck, but yeah. I really do. Yeah. Wait, you have a weird thing about Howard the Duck, which is like, you you would not buy it under anyone other than Gerber? Yeah. Yeah. I feel very which much Which is super same. weird, but honestly, yeah. I was like, I had to buy back a, you scab response. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I totally get it, because I, um... I well, I I mean, how do I put it? I read Gerber in through the Mantlo issues, through the Mantlo black and white magazine issues. I think I even picked up uh, the Ty Templeton stuff that was going on right around Secret War. God help me. Um, and I felt I felt really bad actually about that. This one is kind of that weird like. I, I, part of it is I wanted to see what Chip Zdarsky was going to do. Like, I kind of had that weird thing of thinking, and I, I'm not entirely sure why. I'm like, you know what? A, Zdarsky is going to get the character. B, Zdarsky is going to do right by it. And C, that's going to be such – that that alone is important enough that I feel okay breaking my, you know, <laughs> my my – weird like because because to me i'm like you know what gerber's dead gerber does not have family gerber you know got a surprising amount out of howard the duck as as some of the the um papers that have emerged uh afterward have have pointed out um and so part of me is like yeah okay i mean i just kind of i kind of expected that it would be I guess the thing that is that will probably comfort you and uh, chasten me is is that again, sort of like I was saying with like Barry Allen, Howard the Duck is just a placeholder name for this character. This character is in no way, I mean, you know, even using some of the 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 preference for saying the word toots, you know, this Howard the Duck is not the Howard the Duck that we know. It's just, it's just another character with another name. So, and part of that's the way that he, he dresses. But I mean, you know, Zdarsky for has some funny jokes in it, but it's not, it's not as funny as Zdarsky can be when he's really cutting loose. Not even as funny as you know as all the stuff he packs into the marginalia of sex criminals. Um, so yeah, I guess part of me was afraid to bring it up because to have some to have Graham bully me relentlessly as he does listeners and uh, please. <laughs> um, but but also yeah, just this weird way in which it like it doesn't work, and of course part of me is like, did I really expect it to work? And yet also the flip side is like if I ignore the fact that it's as long as I think of it as a comic book about a duck-like character in the Marvel universe. It's kind of okay. You know what I mean? But of course that's, I mean that at that point you're just, I don't know. I, I'm doing some world-class prevaricating. I'm sure. Uh, walking dead. That, 138. That's, that's kind of sad. Doug it. What that I'm prevaricating or that no, I'm... it's kind of sad that it, it, it was such a letdown. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, 
I don't know. I feel like I'm blowing it out of proportion because like I said, part of me is like, Oh, it's it, like part it's, it's okay. Like there's a few things that I thought were funny. There were a few things that I thought were really old, but yeah, I, it is a bummer, but of course, wouldn't it be worse in a way if it was successful, if it turned around and I was like, Oh my God, Graham, you have to buy it. It's the second kind. No. It's everything that Steve no. Gerber would have been. Yeah. No, no, it uh, wouldn't have been worse for me. No. Cause you would just be no, like, I, Oh, well, I know. I I, w- I think I would have been happy. I think I would have been happy that the spirit of the character lived on. <laughs> in all in in all seriousness, I think if it is, if it was completely like a Gerber Howard, mm-hmm. I that's that's far better for me than because here's the thing: this is going to be a successful book, Jeff. Like, is it? It's it's yeah. It, like it's far better for me that Howard the Duck is running and it is true to the character than there's a book called Howard the Duck that has nothing to do with the original character or the intent of the original character or the wishes of the original creator other than the fact that it's a duck in the Marvel universe. Yeah, yeah. I'd much rather have something that's more honest, more true to the character. Uh, yeah, this is not that. This is not that. They, they, there's a weird, like, do you remember when, um, John Chris Felusi left Ren and Stimpy yeah. and, and kind of made a comment about how the characters weren't the characters anymore? You know, he was yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's that fundamental. It's that fundamental. Like people can look at it and be like, oh, wait, I don't understand it. It's got this element and that element and this element. No, not, not really. So. Uh, yeah, kind of a bummer. Uh, Walking Dead 138, read it, enjoyed it. Issue 7 of Outcast. I have no idea if anything is actually happening in these issues, as far as <laughs> I can tell. Are you reading these issues, Jeff? I, you know, I'm, I am, but I, maybe I'm not retaining them, which is a reason why I should have been buying them in digital, I guess, is I could go back and cram through them. Like, I definitely like, oh, I understand why that guy's crying and why he's got, you know, a bleeding pentagram on his chest at the beginning of the issue. And I totally see why they make the decisions that they make at the end of the issue. But there's all these other things of like, there's like a four page sequence of two women having coffee and talking about stuff in a, in a restaurant. And I'm just like, I don't remember who those people are. I mean, I have, I mean, admittedly the book's been on hiatus, but it's just more the idea of like, what can I say? Like it, 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 it's just, I feel somewhere along the line <laughs> that, that Robert Kirkman wrongly has become convinced that people walking up and knocking on doors is the new zombies. And I do not think that he's right on this. I really think I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I think as far as I can tell seven issues in there's everyone talks about exorcism, but really what happens is people walk around to each other's house and knock on the doors and talk to each other through the screens. And that is 70% of the book, it feels like to me at this point. So, yeah, not... But can Paul, as I said, draw a good screener watch it? Oh, holy shit. He is, like, seriously, the book as a two ninety nine book to get to see him draw monthly is, it's, I'm still, I'm still picking it up. I'm still picking it up. And I forget if he's doing his own colors. I think he is. Um, no, Elizabeth Brightweiser, the shit she's doing with his colors. 
I just love looking at the book. I really do. It is the equivalent of sitting down and watching, I don't know, like an idiot watching CSI because they like the, they like the, the, the bullet wound reconstruction sequences or something. You know what I mean? Or I don't know. It's just bad. It's like watching I'm, Magnum PI because they I'm like the I'm not sure beach. I follow your analogy there, but okay. Yeah. Just, I mean, in that idea of like, I'm reading this. I'm just looking. It's, uh, I, you know, a better thing would have been said if I, if I, somebody who watched Magnum PI because they like Tom Selleck's mustache. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, if you want to see Tom Selleck's mustache, there's one place where you've got to go. And if you love Tom Selleck's mustache and or Hawaii, Magnum PI was fucking great. It's not why most people, I get the sense, are watching Magnum PI. And similarly, maybe there's people, certainly in the letters column, there are people who are like, oh my God, like, you know, I managed, I read Outcast 3 and I wet four beds, you know, and I'm just, I'm not, I'm so, I'm, I'm not there, but I'm still picking up the, I'm like, this art, I'm willing to pick this up. I'm willing to spend the money just to look at this, which is kind of, kind of weird. A long ways away from where I used to be as a comic reader. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number three. I'm still reading it. I'm still liking it. Uh, Mark Miller, Sean Murphy's Chrononauts. This was the most boring comic, uh, ever produced. It looks oh, it's so phenomenal. Sean Gordon Murphy can draw the shit out of things and it looks beautiful. And he's got Matt Hollingsworth doing the colors. So it looks phenomenal. I think if Marvel was smart, they would pay that guy like a shit ton of money to do a Star Wars comic. Um, but oh, I, I'm sure they will eventually. Yeah, exactly. Got to got to keep that mill, you know, operating. But holy mother of God, Mark, that that it was it was it was so dull. That was so dull. Oh my God, that that actually made Starlight look like um, something good. Think, yeah, I'm 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 kind of like <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that's so short and poppy and full of energy, and I sort of feel like, well, clearly I'm thinking of comics from years ago. But you know, I mean, it's just <laughs> which is which is me being a dick. But I mean, it makes Starlight look like Zenith. Let's put it that way. It 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 Chrononauts is dull. I really wish that there had been crow nuts in it too. And I think they sort of missed out, but honestly, I think that's going to be Miller's big reveal for issue three. Cause that's, he just doesn't want to like, it honestly seems like even an in joke is something that he's like, mm, got to parcel those out. You know, it's, oh, it's terrible. Really, really damn, damnably dull. I'm sorry you hated it quite so much. I still have to read it. Like, I have it on my, my Kindle. That think... An Invisible Republic, which uh, looks gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Which one is that? Gabriel Hartman and Karina Bechko. Oh, right. Yes, I've seen seen lots of people talking about it, but if not... Oh, Jeff. Just, yeah. like, literally, <coughs> it's a... Uh, it's a... Uh, you look at it and you're like, oh, why can all comics... Yeah. Not kind of look like this. And again, uh, it's comics that you look at and you're like, oh, they should do Star Wars. And then you remember, they just did Star Wars for Dark Horse for like two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Hardman, Hardman is phenomenal. Although, I think on the Star Wars stuff, didn't he just end up doing some of the covers or was he also doing No, characters? he, he, he did, uh, they did like a year and a half on Star Wars Legacy, the, the one that's based on this, the, this daughter or granddaughter of Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, right. it, it, it's, it's that very that. team. It's Hardman yeah, yeah, yeah. and Bechko again. Jeez, I wonder if I um, picked it yeah. up on sale. I don't think I did. It looks lovely. Like it's it's a beautiful looking book, but I've not read it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did read Southern Cross because I was catching up on, on image stuff. Mm. Uh, the Becky Cloonan, Andy Bellinger book. Um, uh, it sounds super weird, but I, my main takeaway was I wish Becky had drawn it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's perfectly serviceable, mm-hmm. but there's a life to her cover art that is not there in the book itself, in Andy Bellinger's art, in the, mm-hmm. the actual book. And I honestly think that would have made the difference between, huh, this is okay, and I I am enjoying this, which yeah, is kind of a shame. I should definitely try and pick it up. I I, I think I love Clunan's illustrating, illustrative style. I'm sometimes mm-hmm. a little coolish about her scripting. So Yeah, and I think this unfortunately really plays that up mm-hmm. because without her line work mm-hmm. you're aware of like the flaws of her writing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's uh I, it, I totally think it's if you have a chance to pick it up you should pick it up because it's not a bad comic by any means mm-hmm. um but it's it's uh a disappointing and i'm not quite sure why comic if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i i, I um, get that and I also wrote about this week Giant Days, the the John Allison comic that um the Booms put out the spin off of his webcomic stuff. Yes. Which is like I said, it's really if you hadn't read his web stuff, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'd enjoy it a lot or at least I would have enjoyed it a lot more than I did because mm-hmm. I just kept unfairly comparing it to his web stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 completely great. But it's not the stuff he's doing in the web that he draws himself. Right. And interestingly enough that he letters himself, the lettering also really plays into it. Hmm. Um, and it's just much more of a conventional comic. Right. And the pacing's more conventional in a way that I, I just consistently felt just that little bit disappointed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with either of his work and I do remember reading your piece I, I read your piece, I think, yesterday, I think, when it got published. I was like, oh, hmm. it, it So it's tough. Like, part of me is like, I guess in a way, I would be a good person to experiment with. Like, I, because I well, haven't the, really the other read his other stuff. I, I think you have read his other stuff and you didn't like it. Um, I want to say that because I loved Bad Machinery so much, mm-hmm. that either I nagged you into it or you read it when you were up in Portland at one point, and that it, it did nothing for you. God, you know... Well, maybe, maybe, in which case I really forgot. I do know that at one point it, I picked up the Kindle version of the Bad Machinery collection because it was super cheap, and I loaded it up, and then I never read it, as far as I know. Or I started it, and I was kind of like, eh. So, yeah, I, I don't recall his work really striking me, but I also have the vague impression that I never really... I, I, do, I honestly don't feel like I give it a, a very fair shot. So I, I should give it a, give it a try. Um, I should mention for people who, uh, if you happen to be a big fan of William S. Burroughs and you just like things that are drawn awesomely, I have fallen behind on zero and I picked up issue 15 and figured, ah, what the fuck? I'll just read it cold. And it is, it's pretty phenomenal cold. I don't know how well it oh, well, I, everything I, else. I will tell you listeners and I've said this more than once, that if yeah. you're not reading Zero, then you're nuts. Yeah. Um, is great. Zero is... And, and I think I... I think the, I might like the surface more, interestingly enough. And I love Zero. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but but Alish Scott's other image series that just launched this month, The Surface. Yeah. Yeah, it, it like still pings in my brain right now. Huh. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, really, yeah, really I definitely want to check it out. It's it's interesting. I don't know why I fell off on Zero other than I have that creepy suspicion that if I had been there, – there was a point where I think I just honestly got confused as to what issues I had read and which ones That's, I had. Yeah, I was going to say it's the, it's a real problem with Dunham Ones that, yeah. that you can be like, yeah, I think I'm up to date and you're totally not. Yeah, exactly. So I know that there was stuff where – I think I was pretty good up through like issue 10 or 11 and I might honestly have the other issues, you know, bought and banked, but not read. Um, but this one was, I was like, well, that cover, it's pretty hard to not look inside and see what the fuck is going on there. And then it is, it is, it's got some great stuff. If, if, if someone is kind of like, I would like to read a comic that is coming out that is able to remind me as of much of, um, Raw magazine from from the late '80s as anything. What should I pick up? It's like go get Zero. This this latest issue was just just phenomenally well done. Um, I really thought the art on it was extraordinary, and actually the story and everything else. I mean, I'm a little leer- like I don't know where the other pieces were for someone who doesn't know William S. Burroughs or Burroughs's parts of Burroughs' life trajectory, part of me is like, I don't know if there's enough groundwork here for any of this stuff to land for a quote-unquote casual reader. Yeah, um, I'm going to say that I'm like the opposite type of reader because I don't know an incredible amount about Burroughs, but I have been reading Zero. Uh Uh-huh. And it it landed enough. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm missing a lot. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm missing an incredible amount. But it fits with everything else that's been going on mm-hmm. enough that it felt it felt far more disconnected than everything else that's been going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, this <laughs> here's me giving my recommendation of it in the form of a and completely unnecessary dis. <laughs> it's doing everything that Casanova thinks it's doing, but it's actually doing it. Wow. Well, nice. Like it's 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 no, but it 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 is. <laughs> no, um, I can see that actually. In the same it's a great way, the same way that I think that Casanova do. thinks that it is iconoclastic by mm-hmm. name dropping. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zero manages to name drop, but also show show that um, Alish has read the books and understood them and is engaging in the work. Hmm. Interesting. Now? Uh, I, no, I, I mean, Cot clearly, uh, he clearly has. I don't necessarily know with Fraction or not. To me, it's more of a, um, like, when you compared it to Casanova, that pinged really heavily for me because there's a... Casanova, all the issues that I've read, even when they're sort of soaked in despair, are pretty breezy you know it's, yes it's a very light comic yeah it, even even when it's it, even when it's tackling the dark stuff and so consequently I, I know what you mean i feel like i feel like z- more of zero stuff lands because the work is done like you're genuinely emotionally invested in the characters rather than just 
without that being code for, oh, but I like that character because he's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's well, I, I feel it, uh, and it's not even like caught can't do glib because I think one of the things I love about Secret Avengers is that it is at times amazingly glib. Like, mm-hmm. are you reading that on Marvel Unlimited? Uh, no, it's it's not really far oh. up on Marvel Unlimited, is it? I honestly have no idea. Okay. It's got to be. It's like issue. It's got to be up to like issue six at least, because right. I'm sure it's issue twelve or thirteen. And in, in yeah, I was about to say I saw issue twelve in the stores just the other day. And... Um, but it's. I really, I really appreciate the. There's a really fucking weird sense of humor to Secret Avengers. Yes, there really is. Um, that is glib in in a good way, for mm-hmm. want of a better way of putting it. So, mm-hmm. it, so I feel like I feel like he can do the glibness of Casanova, but I feel that Casanova is only glib ultimately. Uh. It it doesn't it it has it hasn't it hasn't uh, yeah it hasn't hit any deeper depths for me anyway. Not that I've been reading it very closely. Whereas I don't feel like Zero I've been reading especially closely either, um, but it has. So, oh, uh, Jeff, catch up on Zero. There's there's some. I want to say this second collection. It's got to be the second collection, or maybe the third collection just came out, or it's been solicited, but. Um, there's some just brutally good stuff in recent mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. Like, really just holy shit stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it really is uh, uh, a really good comic, but also not a comic that you can really dip into. Mm-hmm. Not because each, like, there's a, a dense continuity you've got to keep hold of, but because like, like when it gets you, it gets you. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like the emotional beats land hard on zero. Right. That's what I've heard, and I, I they've quasi landed for me. I've definitely heard that. Heard you say that before. Not as much with me. And we're back. Oh, so much better. Oh my goodness. This, this episode of Wade Watch brought to you by cleanliness. <laughs> Have you tried showering? <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> and by. Oh, I, I, oh, what? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, I wasn't sure if you were getting ready to pass the mic to me. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. What? What's it brought to you by, Jeff? Graham and ambivalence. Ask your doctor if ambivalence is ambivalence right for you. Joke. It's better that way because commercials <laughs> come back. They're all you never get all new commercials. There's always a oh, commercial you want to get Jeff. rid of. Oh, Jeff, Man, I'm telling you, Graham. It's a, it's a. Miracle. Now that I am, now that I am officially public radio person. Jeff. Oh, yes. I'm going to stand up and say no. You. And by the Jeff Lester Foundation. Yeah, right. Exactly. Rewarding <sighs> works of comic book literature with size and side eyes for 15 years now. And from the Wait What Foundation. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, yes. So, Mr. Public Radio Guy, do you want to wrap us up and explain how next week's not a skip week, even though it was going to be a skip yeah. week? Yeah. Hey, remember how next week was going to be a skip week, and we said that last time we did the podcast? Um, funny story. Uh, it won't. Because, for once, not Jeff's schedule, my schedule. Normally, when our schedule gets all screwy, it's Jeff's fault. But this time, it is 100% on me. <laughs> it's actually 
let's say 90% on me and 10% on the fact that my family is coming into town. But that's still on me, really. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, well. uh, yeah, my family is coming into town the following week, which would have been our first week back from the Scoop Week. So we're swapping. We're flipping things around. Yeah. Um, so we will be back with a normal Wade Wad. Well, that's not true. We'll be back with a Wade Wad. But really, what is normal? about Wade Watt uh, next week. Then we'll be off for a week. Then we'll be back with uh, the fourth Baxter building where, please God, we will manage to get through all the issues and we will not have technical difficulties. I still feel bad about that, Jeff. I do too, Graham. I do too. But, uh, you know, it happens sometimes. This one was pretty buttery smooth apart from the fact that we talked too much and, of course, (laughs) broken old men when it came to discussing comics. But, hey... That's true. This really was the hopeless, terrible one. I wonder if you're going to cut any of our earlier conversation. When you listen back, see if either of us went too far. I think we were far too coy. You know me. I'm always worried about not going far enough. for it. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm concerned, but there you go. I I'm, I, that's just me, Jeff. That's just me. That's um, Patreon listeners, supporters, uh, I might be sending you a message. In fact, by the time this goes out, I might already have sent you a message. Um, other people who would like to know what that message was, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, oh, that nice. is patreon.com forward slash podcast. If you just want to find us on the internet, we're on the internet at uh, waitwhatpodcast.com. And our Tumblr has been relatively active the last couple of weeks. It's true. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, and that can be found at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. We are also on the Twitters, Jeff. Tell them where we can be found on Twitter. Yes, you can find uh, Graham at at Graham M, G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And I am at LazyBastid, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And we also let people know when things are posting um, at uh, the Twitter Wait What podcast. We, as always, are very appreciative of your support and of the fact that you're still listening this far into the the belly of the beast podcast. Yes. The podcast where Jeff and I just weren't feeling it and we let you not feel it as well on this podcast. You know, sometimes I feel like I wish I was a more active editor because you do realize we ended up sort of excitedly talking about comics that we've been reading and liking for the last half hour. So, you know. Start off with like a really bad hour and then we're like, oh, but things aren't that bad after all. But that hour, man. Mm, I'm telling you. Yeah, so, if you make yes. that hour, then we apologize. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we need to say, isn't it? Do we? Need, is there any other messages we need to give? Ask your doctor about ambivalence. See if ambivalence <laughs> is right for you. I think that's it. Yeah. That's... <sighs> Grant, do you want to sing us out? <laughs> <laughs>